what I need and what your children need for our family time is for you to be present because it's not family time if you're not present. And so I think that's another just emphasizing your point of learning about ourselves, understanding ourselves, and then being able to communicate that with our partner who also knows and understands us to say, hey, like I, I know that this is your tendency, that this is the inner voice in you that says you are not doing enough, but you need to tell that voice it's enough to be with. Hello, and welcome back to Authentic One Air with Bruce Alexander. I am your host, Bruce Alexander. Larissa Port, queen of the homesteading honorable mention, has blessed me with her presence in the studio today. And after today's reflection, I will have the pleasure of sharing this beautiful human being with you, the authentic audience. How much does your physical appearance affect your ability to fully be yourself? I'll make it clear for everyone who will listen. I am not happy with my body. I don't know if I have ever been comfortable in my body, and for a long time, That fact made me afraid to display anything close to a full representation of myself. I was always waiting for someone to tell me I was too fat to enjoy my life. In my last career, it happened. A lot. I lost fat, loaded up on muscle, completely altered my silhouette, and I was always still too fat. Too fat to enjoy a snack, a normal-sized plate, a stress-free day. It was unrelenting. That helped. In the end, I learned no matter how I changed my body, people's opinions are their own. And regardless of my size, their opinions will never fit right because they don't belong on me. As far as dealing with my own internalized hatred and body dysmorphia, it is on the short list of what I will call active updates. Reflect on this. And if you are letting thoughts about your body, yours or anyone else's stop you from being the version of yourself you desire to be, I encourage you to love yourself enough to be yourself. This topic is personal, even more than usual. So go to Authentic Identity Management on Instagram, Threads, or LinkedIn, and I will have posted this reflection with the release of this episode, and I would love to hear some of your thoughts on the topic. I know I'm not alone, and I don't want anyone else to feel alone either. Type alone in the comments if you are struggling to find a way to love yourself as you are right now, and I will reach out to you to set up your free discovery call and offer you as much as 40% off if we are a good fit for me to help you step into your authentic life. The struggle is real, and I want to help you move out of it as soon as possible. Character really shows up when the struggle gets real. Your struggle or someone else's. 2021 was one of my family's struggles. The quarantine was on, but I was already on self-isolation, studying for promotion. And in the midst of this, the murder of George Floyd, I felt socially schizophrenic. Why wasn't anyone as mad as me? Kate had been bitten by a tick, and her physical and mental health was totally decimated. We went on to survive a two-week power outage, an ice storm, an extended Airbnb stay without power, and just a whole lot of crap. A lot of good stuff happened as well. Two promotions, a sold house, but at one point, due to our lack of foresight, we were almost among the unhomed. Until today's guest stepped in. Larissa described herself as a pretend homesteader and semi-emotionally stable human being, just taking it one day at a time. When pressed under threat of flattery, she did give me this quote, I believe humanity deserves kindness and to know that there is a space for them, and I wish all humans cherish this earth. And there it was. 
The space that exists between those two statements is exactly where I want to go today. The angel sitting across from me has been to hell and back and could truly say she has had a bad go of this life. But every day she enters the same world that has tried her so thoroughly with kindness unmeasured and unreal humility. A mother of four neurodivergent offspring, neurodivergent advocate, perpetual animal foster parent, and an expressive creative, this owner of a transcendent voice that is mostly kept to herself can touch your soul in song, but is most powerful when unleashed in concert with a heart whose kindness knows no bounds and a mind that effortlessly stitches a tapestry of prose that can speak confidence and clarity into the most disconcerted soul. You have inspired me more than once, to say the least, both through direct reception of your poetic words and passively watching the bravery you face life with. You are a special human being, and I am so happy you joined me today. Welcome to the show, Larissa Port. Thank you. Um, and that's wrap. <laughs> and we're done. Okay, thanks everybody. I'm so happy you're here. I'm happy to be here. Like we have the weirdest relationship because I always feel like I never get to talk to you enough. You come over, and Kate and you are very good friends, and I love that. And I, I always hate stealing time because Kate has so many people that she really, or so so few people that she really connects with. Whenever you're over, I'm like. I also connect really strongly with your husband, so it's such a difficult thing. We both have our, our people who we haven't gotten to connect with, and then you're going, I'm like, damn, we have not talked enough. So as I told you on our text message, today is like our friend day where we get to have our long conversation, and we are going to be uninterrupted by our spouses and our children, and we're just going to we're gonna get to know each other better. I'm excited. Sounds great. So for everybody listening, in your own <laughs> words, tell us who you are what you spend your days doing and why you think I invited you on the show today. Um, I, as you said, am a mom of four kids. Um, we do virtual school, so, uh, we are home, but I like virtual school because all of the pressure is not on me. And, um, when, I don't know how to do algebra because I barely made it through in high school. Then it really helps to have a teacher who I can say, I need help with this because she comes over once a week and um, she is great at her job. Like I'm like, I've been trying to teach my child how to do double digit multiplication for two weeks and it won't stick. And she's like, oh, I have so many tricks for that. And it's just so neat to see like a teacher who like, you know, like that is her gift. Yeah. And so I love watching her do it. And like, I'm like, I never would have thought of that, you know, Does or she like, teach adults? <laughs> I'm sure she that. would. I'm sure she could tutor. But yeah, she's amazing. And she's their aunt, quote unquote. She's actually John's cousin, but. They call her Aunt Putty. That's so, awesome. yeah. So more about what you spend your days doing. What do you spend your so days doing? So I spend my days trying to force them to complete their assignments and do chores and um, go outside and get sunshine and um, be well-rounded humans and taking them to appointments. and. Um, yeah, a couple of us are in therapy ourselves right now, so that's 
you know, several hours a week and it's really good, but you know, it's more things. And I have two in competitive gymnastics. And so that's two nights a week, our whole evening. Super fun to watch and like see them like, oh my God, look at, look at my little gymnast. But, you know, Um, yeah. I asked that not to discount being a stay at home mom, because that is a hard job that I do not, I do not envy. Um, I work from home. I help at home, but Kate runs the home and it is a lot of work. Shuttling the kids and keeping them scheduled and writing homeschool curriculum, like you guys are amazing for doing that and not offing anybody. So it you know yeah. So I sometimes like get frustrated. Like I feel like I'm not accomplishing enough. Like I'm, I'm just sitting here playing a board game with my kids and like, I, I should be doing something else. I should be working or, you know, at minimum doing something. And then I'm like, but if I was going to go work, I would just be, have to pay somebody else to do what I'm doing right now. And so I would rather just do it myself. Like I would rather my kids be with me then pay somebody else to be with them so I can go do something else. Well, and also you're relinquishing control of everything that they're right. they're learning. They're, you know, the socialization of human beings is is an important task and it is it either falls to the parents or whomever they right. hire to socialize their children. Right. Um I, I don't dismiss that at all. And that's why we homeschool and we want that responsibility for our kids. You know, we want to take the responsibility to raise good people in this world. So yeah, thank, thank you for also trying to do the same. And they are, I, I love your kids. They are great people. I like your kids too. Yeah. <laughs> We're doing good, at least by our own accounts. So um, in your own words, how would you define authenticity? Um, I think authenticity is um being genuine um and being willing to be vulnerable because you cannot be authentic if you're not willing to share uncomfortable pieces or um you know i i can't be authentic if i'm not willing to share all of the parts of me or you know at least and that's not to say that like your dirty laundry is for everybody exactly. but you know um but i i in particular <laughs> uh funny i had this conversation with john the other day about like it's really hard for me to like people who i feel like are really surfacey mm. um and so like multiple times in my life, I've had people tell me like, I I can't tell whether or not you like me. And I'm like, Oh, no, like, I do like you. I just, <laughs> I don't like surface stuff. Like, I don't like, like, I'm not like, hi, how are you? Like, fine. Like, okay, let's move on. Like, I, like there's no substance there for me. And so I need substance to feel like I can have a relationship with someone. 
Hold on a second. Ghosts always, you know, he really wants to make an appearance every yeah. episode. Just the ghost. Hi, ghost. <laughs> I'm going to stop cutting you out of episodes if this is going to happen every time. Hi, ghost. Yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, I think that's a really good definition. I think the vulnerability is such an important part of authenticity that can be overlooked, and I think it's important that you don't. Like, authentically, this dog just loves to be part of our recordings. Yeah. Um, what are some ways that people who know you would describe you, both true and false? Um, I think people describe me as quiet, um, which is accurate at times, but... If I know you really well, then you know it's not always accurate. Um, I think people describe me as um, sometimes a know-it-all, I feel like, because I like just hobby, like learning about things. Like I will just like read about interesting things or like watch a documentary about something because I just think it's interesting to learn about random things. And so, um, therefore have a backlog of, you know, weird facts and information. And that's definitely true. You do. So then, you know, like it comes out and I, I feel like sometimes, sometimes it rubs people wrong if they don't know me well right. enough. I can't picture you using that in a situation where you don't know the person. That just, that doesn't jive with my knowledge of you. Like it may be true, but. I guess you just didn't say anything for the first, like, I don't know, 10 times I met you. <laughs> I'm not a big group person. Yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, yeah, if I'm in a group, I will like, that's fine. I'll let other people have their time. Like, I'm not going to fight for attention or, you know, the conversation time. Like, it's not. I think that's one of the things that impresses me most about you is, is that right there is you have no desire to compete for attention. And there, there's something so, I don't know, so admirable about that to me, because I am somebody who, not purposely, but I definitely do compete for attention and do feel bad when I don't get it. So somebody like you who's just, you know, whenever you have time. I yeah, I, I love that about you. Don't don't be a four. You can't be a four today. You got to talk about the things, the nice things people say about you. Well, so I mean, some of that is my personality, and some of that is conditioned. You know, I'm a third born, so like I wasn't I wasn't a prominent feature growing up because you know it's just third borns. So, you know, um, some of it's just what you learn yeah. and you don't, you know, you just stay that way. Well, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Just go ahead and get this out of the way since we're talking about being uncomfortable with like praise and stuff like that. So Kate and I, she got under my skin a little bit about this because she saw that I was going to ask you this question and immediately assumed it was the first thing I thought to talk to you about, it's not true, but you and I are both 
full body people. Like we're bigger people. So I wanted to talk to you about this because you are the one person I know who's been a great inspiration to me. And you seem very comfortable in your skin. And no matter what size I've ever been, I've never been comfortable. There were, you know, there was a time whenever looking back, it was physically the best I, I maybe even could have hoped for. And I still felt so terrible inside my own body. So <clears throat> first off, you have been a great inspiration. And to not parse words, like you to me were the first person who made me realize that as a real person, big and beautiful don't have to be separate. Like it, it wasn't like, oh, she's pretty for a big girl. You're like, you're a beautiful person. And I, I was in awe of that. Tell me about what that is like from your side. Um, I, I mean, I think I go back and forth between being comfortable and not comfortable. It's probably, um, more that I just don't talk about how I feel about it. So, um, you know, I've definitely related to those feelings, but, um, I think, you know, what I try to remind myself is like, at the end of the day, like, you know, I'm living this life. And so how do I want to live this life? Like, I'm, you know, we went to the beach in New York and I didn't really like, you know, being on the beach in New York, but like, I'm not going to miss those memories with my kids. So, you know, like at the end of the day, like, what's my goal? My, my goal is to be present with the people I love. And so, you know, just trying to keep that in focus and, you know, like, yeah, there's, there's a lot of criticism and judgment that is always there surrounding us, but, you know, they're not living our lives. They don't, you know, nobody knows everybody, everybody has stuff, you know? And so, um, you know, it's just, you have to give yourself room just as much as you would give other people room. I guess for me, I guess the, the big things that stick out are like, my mom is a bigger woman. And like, I of course thought my mom was pretty and you know, my mom is a pretty person, but she always said things like, Oh, throw that picture away. I look like a whale or, you know, stuff like that. And she told me very often whenever I was gaining weight, Oh, you're getting kind of big and made me uncomfortable in my body. Like, I mean, it, she didn't make me anything. Nobody can make me anything, but I felt uncomfortable in my body. And that was difficult because that's, you know, once again, your parent is your main source of socialization. And for me, I was seeing a, somebody who hated the body they lived in and B put that on me and told me that you're going to end up in a body like this if you don't stop or if you don't, you know, 
don't snack, don't do this, don't walk and eat. And, you know, my dad was similar with, you know, all the rules to not be fat and his, he's just as bad with his crazy ways of dealing with, um, you know, he, he thinks that you shouldn't, you don't need to eat every meal. That's one thing he said. Um, another one was if you, basically he was doing skinny tea before skinny tea was a thing. And that's, that's how my dad is. And there's been times whenever I've been, most people who go to the gym would be like, that guy looks good. And my, and my dad was like, well, you, you're getting kind of, you know, you're not as fat, but you're getting kind of big. Like, so he still was knocking me down. I've never seen you like, I'm always like, oh, you know, trying to adjust my clothes to make me less fat. That's it's not going to happen. Like, that's not how that works. But you just seem like you move through life in a comfort that is not familiar to me. Is that, is that totally wrong? Um, I think I'm just good at being uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that I makes mean, sense because we're going to talk about that too. Let's let's go ahead and get jump right there. So let's talk about invisible illnesses and some of the things that you shared with me as we were getting ready for this show. Um, let, let me go to my question real quick. This is not my iPad. I got to stop touching the screen. Okay. Scoliosis, knee, re knee reconstruction is leaving little to no cartilage in both knees, degenerative disc disease, a suspected autoimmune disease, multiple herniated discs, a double variant copy of the MTH, the mother effort gene, mm -hmm. uh, and that is tied to, of all things, fatigue, nerve pain, migraine, and chronic pain. How in the world are you sitting across from me today with a smile on your face? Um, you just do like no, life doesn't stop. Most people don't like not. That sounds like a, the recipe for a miserable day every day. I mean, it's not always fun, but like life doesn't stop. Like life isn't like, oh, you're in pain today. Like that's okay. We'll, we'll just cancel life today. Like, nope. Like kids still have to go to gymnastics. Groceries still need picked up. Dinner needs made. The rug needs vacuumed. Like you don't, you just, you don't get a pass. Like you just, you just do it. So, on, and then you take a Epsom salt bath. On average on the, the one to 10 scale, where is your pain at? Um, right now, it's decent, fairly well managed. Um, I have to go to the chiropractor or like I won't be able to walk. Um, standing is uncomfortable. Like sitting, sitting is far less painful, but standing um, is generally uncomfortable for my back. Um and it just varies. I haven't had any um, incidents with my back in a couple of years. So, like, that's a big deal. Um, <clears throat> because, you know, I have, like, I have had to spend, like, 
up to a week in bed, like, you know, could not even move because I was in so much pain. And so, um, not being there, like, that's great. And I think, you know, I don't know, maybe that's part of the thing is like, like, I, I know how limiting, how limiting the debilitating pain is. Mm -hmm. And so like, if I'm not in that debilitating pain, like I'm going to do stuff because, you know, I don't know when that's coming back. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it, you know, you just get used to it to a degree. Like, it's like, Oh, like it's only a level two today. Like, Oh, that's nothing. You know, I can do whatever I want to do or, you know, you did, you did skate around the question. What's the number on average? Average. I mean, right now, not, not because you've gotten used to it and that has taken a five to a three because you're just numb to it. If it was a five and it's still the same pain, it's still a five. You're just used to a five now. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's also hard to say because everybody's perception is different. Well, and, the you debilitating know, pain yeah. was probably like a nine ten, right? Oh yeah. So what it like compared to that, what is this? What is the average day? Average day right now, two or three. Summer's good. Summer's fine. Spring is harder. Ran. Yeah. And so are we talking four or five, like pretty much every day? Yeah. Yeah. I've literally maybe not every day, but but um days where weather is involved. Like it you know, like what the day that we had like really bad tornadoes like out in our area. Mm -hmm. Like I woke up and my femur was hurting. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I've never had this before in my life. Like why is my femur hurting? And then like that night there was a bunch of tornadoes in our area. So it you know it's I have an app called Weatherwell that I really like because it helps you track and figure out what you're sensitive to, like so barometric pressure or um you know <clears throat> allergens, um the wind even like I by using it like I've discovered like I'm actually sensitive to high wind days. Like I will have certain symptoms on high wind days. Because doesn't that change the barometric pressure and I mean pressure is pressure, right? So that would have an effect on people's bodies. Yeah. I'm not I'm not entirely sure like where I fall in the range of like, you know, what number starts to affect me, but um yeah, it's been a helpful thing to know like, you know, if I wake up and I'm like, why do I feel like crap? And I like look at my app and I'm like, oh well, that's, you know, that's it says cool. I will feel like crap today because of the weather. So that's helpful. I, uh, how long have we known each other now? I'm, I'm terrible at times. So I'll let you Aaron know. was a baby. Like, I think all our youngest were one. So six years. Yeah, because Roy's turning seven this weekend. Yeah. Holy crap. Um, so in the seven years that we've known each other, I have never once heard you complain about pain. You literally KT KT taped my back up multiple times and helped coach me through what I know I felt like was pretty, pretty crappy pain. And you never once even told me, yeah, I struggled with this. So this is why I'm able to help you. I was just like, this is another one of those things that Larissa knows. I had no idea. Another one of my just weird hobbies. Yes. <laughs> I literally had no idea that you dealt with pain on a day-to-day -day basis. Do you feel like 
that's a little bit disingenuous by keeping keeping that to yourself. Um. <clears throat> I personally have never thought of it that way. I, uh, um, I don't know. Like I, like if I am like, oh, I'm in pain today. Like, I don't know. It just feels, which like, it just to clarify, like it doesn't bother me if other people do it. You're like, God, Bruce, <laughs> shut up. Like if other people in pain, I'm like, oh my gosh, like you're in pain. Like what's going on? Like, what do you need? How can I help? But I don't know. Like I just, if I complain that I'm like whining, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You should just look at that. Like it's, we've talked about it multiple times on the show giving your friends an opportunity to friend you. It would be nice to say, damn, Larissa, that sounds really tough. And just give you the support of knowing that you don't have to go through everything by yourself. That's, that's what being a friend is. You've been, a, you've been a friend like that to me multiple times. You let us stay at your house for two weeks. I'm pretty sure bad at time, but I'm pretty sure it was two weeks and eat your food and, you know, live with you. You you friended the crap out of us. So if you are going through a moment of pain, of distress, depression, whatever, I would I would love the opportunity to be able to pay that back to you. I know that it's that's not what friendship is about. It's not about taking score and you know reciprocation. It's about doing those things without expecting that. But because you did, I want to. So that's just something that you know. I don't know the answer exactly, yeah. <laughs> but it's something that, you know, I question is, is toughing it out actually doing a disservice to those around you? I mean, practically, sometimes yes, because I have a hard time even telling John sometimes. And so, like, we had a a missed moment uh, recently because... um. I had slid on one of the boys chargers on the floor and landed on it on one of my knees. And so I had a big bruise and I was sore and, um, I was icing it. And even, even in that moment when it happened, like I'm sitting on the end of the bed, like turned away from him. And he's like, like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. Like, you know, I didn't break anything. Like I didn't tear my MCL again. So, you know, yeah, I'm okay. You know, but immediately had a big bruise on my knee, you know, it's immediately sore, but, um, I just, I don't know, have a hard time saying. And so, you know, we, you know, as you do when you're married had kind of a missed expectation moment. Cause I was, sitting icing my knee and he thought, you know, maybe something else was going to happen. And so we had to talk about that later, but, you know, I had to tell him, like, I almost told you like, Hey, like I actually am sore because, um, you know, and so I need, I need to take it easy, Yeah. but I didn't want to. And so, you know, you didn't want to tell him or didn't want to take it easy. I didn't want to tell him. Um, 
I mean, both, but you know, I just, I don't know. felt like, man, like, you know, it's not that bad. Like I don't need to tell him like, I'll just ice it a little while. I'll be fine. But because I didn't say it, like, then we have this missed moment where because I didn't let him know, you know, Hey, like I do need to take it easier than he had this expectation that something else was going to happen. And so, um, because I didn't want to, then, you know, we had to work through that. So it is, you know, it's tricky because, um, you know, sometimes, sometimes it is important or, you know, like I have a, an acquaintance who has fibromyalgia and I know that in her marriage, like she has to say, like they have a daily conversation about like, what's your pain level? So that her husband knows like, okay, these are the accommodations I have to make today because like you're having a crap day or, you know, okay, like you're feeling great today. So maybe we should, you know, do that activity we've been waiting to do, or, you know, we can go on an outing or, you know, whatever, like, but it, you know, it's just one of those practical things. Like, just like you would say, I didn't sleep well, I'm grumpy, you know? Um, but for some reason that's different for me. Like I just hold that a little closer. So, I mean, so we can definitely say that it is a disservice, at least to your husband, um, from just that example. And I'm sure there are plenty more where the expectations have not lined up with the result because there's a whole piece of the equation that's not being given to be factored in. And that's, you know, when we talk about authenticity, I think it's so important to recognize that it's also saying this is where my weaknesses are, being self-aware. And you are, you are aware of your pain, and it's not for everybody to know, but it affects your husband. And, you know, and you you don't have to be like me. You don't have to whine about it. That's what I do. I, I'm very whiny about my pain, and I, you know, I wish I could curtail that a little bit working on it but i still i still want it to be known that i'm struggling with this you know my back is still you know i'm just sore today it's because it is going to affect the ability i have to do crap around the house if i the way that my back is is if i stand up to do the most menial task my lower back just screams at me and it's really stupid and I hate it because it makes me feel like the laziest person in the entire world. Like I, I was lazy enough before I had back problems. So it, it's rough. But I think that, I don't know, I think it's just something to think about is am I giving my partner all the information necessary for them to be the best spouse that they can be? Right. Like you, I know John is a very caring person. I'm sure he would love the opportunity to be able to care for you in those moments. Like even just run your head, like, you know, yeah, it's my pain's a little tough today. I'm probably going to take a bath. Oh, let me run it for you. Something simple like that. It doesn't have to be a whole, you know, we're having a funeral for Larissa's pain today. Just, you know, being aware of it and then taking steps towards that thing. I don't know. It's just my take on it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's easier if it's like a smaller thing, 
like, like if I have a tense shoulder, like I have no problem being like, Hey, will you rip my shoulder a little bit? But I think like when it's a more emotionally involved pain for me, like then it's like, like, I don't want to open that can. Like, it's just easier. Like I'll just keep that in there. Like that's because if I open that can, like then I have to go through the layers and you know, like, so that moment when I slipped on that charger cord and was falling, like, you know, like I had like a million thoughts go through my head, you know, like, Oh my gosh, like, am I going to tear the muscle that they moved to replace my MCL? Am I gonna, you know, like, is this the moment that I've been waiting for, for 20 years to, I guess not 20, 15 years to, you know, like now I'm going to have to go have surgery again. Like, and like, you know, that's a lot. And I'm like, I don't like, nope, like, just like, let's put that back inside. Like, let's not go there because that's a whole lot, which, you know, obviously I know is not the healthy choice. Like that's why, that's why I'm in therapy and, you know, like working through those things with my therapist. But, um, you know, it, it's still like, that is my gut reaction. I'm like, no, like, you know, so kind of one of our like household jokes is like, we each have a Disney song. That's like our mantra, you know? And so, um, John's is the Encanto song from the older sister. Um, oh, the strong one. Yeah. Pressure. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good song. Yeah. But he really relates to that yeah, song. Mine is Elsa saying, keep it silent or no, mm. that's, that's a different thing. Um, but it's hard. Conceal, don't feel, don't let it show. Like, that's mine. I'm like, nope. Like, we we do not let people know that we're having a hard Doesn't day. Doesn't that song we do go not. on to say, let it go? Yes. And, like, so are we just ignoring the, the rest of that song where she goes on? Yeah, say, but like, for her whole, to... her whole childhood, she was conditioned that the way you deal with it is by hiding it. Mm. And, and that was my family culture, like for a lot of things, yeah. you know, you just like, Oh, you have a disagreement. Like, well, let's just each go to our own rooms and, you know, we'll avoid each other until we're over it. So, you know, like that, that is how we process things was like, you just ignore it and then it goes away because you ignored it for long enough. So, you know, don't recommend, yeah. but <laughs> 10 out of 10 did not recommend. And like you said, that's why you are in therapy. <laughs> and it's good that you're working you're working through those things. I, I've I've learned through my adult life that that my tendency to bury things has been the cause of most of my negative experiences in life. Yeah. So now I generally if I if it's a, if my gut reaction is to bury it, I know that that's somewhere I need to go and I need to like, I need to pull all that stuff out, lay it out and you know, have a discussion with whoever's involved. Kate and I have had a few discussions like that where I'm like, okay, I need you, I need to I need you to hold me accountable. Here's all the stuff. And then a couple of days later, I was like, here's some more stuff. Cause I'm really good at burying. Like I did not realize how good I was at, you know, just digging that hole and really getting all the stuff down there and then telling myself that that hole didn't exist and that right. everything was okay. So I just kept finding new holes and unburying stuff. I'm like, oh hey. But it's important to just dig that stuff back out and look at those reactions, why you're doing it, and see if you can pinpoint where in your story those things started to happen and so you know try to try to reclaim that narrative. 
And once again, this is not uh, therapy advice because I'm not a therapist. But Well, I am not a mental health specialist. I do really love listening to people tell their stories. And next week on my 15th episode, I have an extremely special guest in the Authentic On Air studio telling his story. Emmy Award winning musician, activist, and entrepreneur JB joins me for an astonishing conversation. I feel so blessed to have had Oklahoma City royalty grace my show with his vulnerable and genuine journey into authenticity. So make sure to check in next episode for me geeking out about JB touring with my favorite rap duo, Run the Jewels. JB talking about the expectation placed on him by rap legend Chuck D. A dialogue on the vision and compromise it takes to create an Emmy Award winning video. The secret that turned JB into an overnight activist. Plus so much more on episode 15, Music to Change the World, Converting Expectation into Reality with JB. Do not miss the opportunity to see a completely different side of a local celebrity, activist, and internationally respected lyricist. He is introspective, intelligent, and grounded, and truly a delight to have on the show. If you are enjoying this conversation with my good friend Larissa, then you might also like episode 2, Tragedy to Comedy, Basing Life-Altering Trauma with Assistant Humor, with Anna Rhodes. Anna and Larissa share an ability to shoulder a seemingly insurmountable load with a smirk and fire off an intellectual quip to mitigate the stress in a room. So go check that one out right after you finish this episode, which we will get back to right now. It's important to reclaim that narrative and try to be a more honest version of yourself that doesn't have a bunch of skeletons in the closet. Yeah. I think where you were going before your phone sidetracked you was to say that Therapy is a good choice. Yes, therapy. Definitely a good choice. Like, like I tell everyone, like, get in therapy. I had a couple friends ask me what I wanted for my birthday this year. And I said, I would like for you to get in therapy. Because, I mean, I said it, like, in a joking way. But just because, like, it's been such a positive experience for me. And so I'm like, you know, I want want everybody to have this positive experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know... There's so much taboo, like even still, you know, even. So. Oh, yeah. I, I feel like from in, in certain my, cultures. Sure. In certain cultures, but from on the whole, I feel like COVID reset so many different things. And one of them was like mental health is no joke. Everybody I knew struggled with some sort of mental illness through that time. And so many people were like, yeah, I'm seeing a counselor now. And it became so much less of a big deal. Yeah. But apparently that's not everywhere. Well, yeah. So I have family members who I've recommended multiple times, like, hey, like, I really think you should get in therapy. Like, that would be a really great thing for, you know, helping you process some of these things that I'm aware of. Mm -hmm. And um, the response I get is, I know therapy has been very helpful for you, um, you know, and then rushing on, moving on, you know, like, mm-hmm. like almost like a patronizing, like, I know, I know that, that that's helped you. Preschool but, is good for toddlers. Right. But. <laughs> right. Um, and so I, I guess a more accurate word is a certain demographic, maybe than culture, mm-hmm. you know, Um, it's really hard to fight with, um, people who just want to, um, 
religion everything away. You can say it, boomers. Well, it's not just boomers, though. Um, I know younger people mm. who are still, you know, because that's all they're surrounded by. That's all they know. Mm. Um, you know, even 10 years ago, you know, we did not have the same words, the same understanding. Um, so, you know, in my child's lifetime, you know, like it's gone from, and that I know, I understand that some of that is like my experience, but even my therapist agrees with this. She's like, no, like 10 years ago, like there were not conversations about mental health or, you know, and there's, there's certain religious words that are used like, um, you know, like, well, there's a generational curse of this. Like, okay, I mean, sure, like that is one way we can approach this. The other way we can approach this is that there's a family pattern that because nobody is dealing with this keeps being perpetuated. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we can call it a generational curse and excuse it because it's a generational curse. And like, you know, like, well, it, you know, this is just what happens because you're part of this family. Like, yeah, that's an option. Or we can be proactive and say, like, I'm, I'm not going to perpetuate this cycle of, you know, um, <clears throat> so my family likes to call it a, they say like generational curse of fear or generational curse of holding grudges. Mm. Like, yeah, we, we can call it a generational curse of fear, or we can say like, you had a very anxious parent. And so they conditioned you to be anxious and you conditioned me to be anxious. And I conditioned my child to be anxious. Mm. And so now we're in therapy to deal with anxiety so that we don't keep perpetuating this cycle of anxiety. And, um, you know, like I had to pull my nine-year-old out of school. I guess he was eight at the time because his anxiety was so bad. He couldn't even make it through a day of school. And so, you know, like, obviously that's not great. And so I could have just said like, Oh, like it's that generational curse of fear. You know, like we just, you know, we have to keep praying that it's going to go away, which like, I don't, I don't want to knock anyone's belief on prayer or, um, you know, that's a whole other thing, but just the approach that like, there's not much we can do other than like ask for it to go away. Right. Um, so that's, that's been a big deal for like me and my relationship with my children and trying to normalize, but also like, we don't have to live with this. We don't have to just, you know, keep saying like, well, this is here to stay. And, you know, we just have to deal with it. I'm, I'm going to push back just a tiny bit, just because I, I feel like any process that is in the service of healing and growth involves accountability and honesty. If you practice religion in a way that 
saps you of all accountability. Let go, let God. Um, it's not in my hands anymore. Right. And you tr- and you you take those things to the most literal sense to where you no longer take any responsibility for what happens in your life. Then no, you're not going to see any growth. The same goes for therapy as well. If you go in and say the therapist is going to fix me, right, and you don't do any work, then nothing's going to happen. You know, it's just easier in that case because there is somebody telling you on a daily basis, like, hey, I need you to do the work. I need you to show up. I need you to be honest. I need you to talk to me. If you look at religion in a deeper sense, all of your deities are asking the same thing. They're asking you to show up. They're asking you to be honest. They're asking you to be accountable for yourself. So if you do those things, you can, there's many paths to healing, but you have to, you have to show up and, if you want that that extra assistance being accountable, like you have to be pretty far along to do that yourself. Right. I think therapy is a pretty good place to start and it doesn't have to be separate from religion. Right. You, can, you can still get that healing there as well. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of the religious community does think that they need to just let God handle it. And that's right. That's that's not how that works. Well, yeah, we we're having a conversation with someone recently who said to us, you know, like, well, you just do as much as you can do and you let God handle the rest, you know, because he will, like, he'll make up the difference. He'll handle the rest. Like, I mean, that's a very passive way to approach. Like, so I'm just going to look at my children and say like, well, I did my best, you know, I'm sorry. I feel like, that statement followed with intention is absolutely true. But if you did your best and you're like, you know, I did my best. I feel like you didn't actually do your best. Well, I feel like it's right. I feel like it's approaching it from like, well, you just, you know, like if you make mistakes, like, oh, well, you just, you know, God will make up the difference. Like, I mean, I, you know, like that's again, I, I feel like religion is a whole other, like, that's a whole other thing. Well, you have a complicated but, relationship with religion because you right. left your father's church. Right. Right. So what, what I found is like, I've got several friends who have left very intense religious situations. And I come from a background of my parents didn't put religion on me at all until my like high school years. And by that point, I, I was harder on myself religion wise than anybody else went away from it in college and I'm coming back much in a much more gentle way in my older years. And it's hard for me to, to see the people who I love struggle with it in a way to where it feels like God was the problem whenever religion was. Oh, no, I, I, that to be clear, I am pro spirituality. Mm-hmm. I am anti typical American Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that spirituality is important. And I was having this conversation with my children in the car on the way here this morning, actually, that <clears throat> um, it, you know, it's like we, everyone deserves access to spirituality and to the spirituality that they connect with. Mm -hmm. I guess I'll put it that way. Um, and nobody gets to tell anybody else 
what spirituality that is for them. Um, and so, and I think that has been kind of my walk away from it is that the one that I grew up with was very narrow minded. Mm -hmm. And I know that some of that is, you know, like everything's a product of, you know, what came before it. So, you know, the church my parents were in when I was born, like their pastor got to say, I need to borrow this quilt that your grandmother made you for your wedding because I'm having guests and you have to let me use it because I asked for it. Mm -hmm. And then they ruined it and they gave her back a ruined quilt that was made from her grandmother. That's no longer alive. Mm -hmm. And so all she has now is like a three by three piece left that was salvageable because they ruined, you know, this heirloom that was, but she was not allowed to say no. And so, you know, what I grew up with was better than that, but it was still a product of that. And so that's one of the things I'm working through in therapy right now with my therapist is, um, the, you know, basically like I've had people in my life gaslight me, but I also gaslight myself Mm -hmm. because I grew up with such an authoritarian lifestyle that was like, you know, well, no, like you don't even buy a car as an adult without our permission because, um, because you don't know how to make good choices for yourself without our approval and without our say. And, um, as a young couple, like regularly having the conversation that like, it doesn't feel like we're the head of our own household. Like it still feels like they're the head of our household. Like we're not allowed to make decisions and choices for ourselves and individuate and be our own family unit. Like we're still, we're just like a subheading of this family. We're not our own family. And so, um, having to work through that to like, I'm allowed to think for myself. I'm allowed to make choices for myself. I'm allowed to trust myself in the decisions that I feel like are right. And so like, that's something that my therapist regularly says to me. is like, I think half your problem is just you second guess yourself all the time. Like you're doing a good job. Like you're, you know, I'll bring up stuff about my kids. And she's like, I think what you said was right. And you just have to trust yourself that it was right. Like nothing you said seems off to me. I think it was a great response to that situation or that question. Um, and so like just those baby steps of like, okay, like I, I can trust myself. Like I can, I can know that I'm capable of making decisions or, you know, knowing how to do something. And so It's just, it's been a very, yeah, it's been a very interesting road and that, you know, now I have people who won't talk to me because I walked away from that and chose to try to, uh, think for myself. So, you know, because I, I abandoned the family and Um, it's a, you know, it's a hard, hard thing to, you know, like 
this is my family. I still love these people, but, um, you know, so this is in, ingrained a very complicated relationship with control for you. Like yeah. you were controlled by your family and your religion. And now you're, you know, you're trying to take some of that control back for yourself. You know, you said that they kind of controlled your entire family unit and, that's a lot of a lot of control to give up yeah well yeah not just not just parents but they were our parents our pastors and our bosses because we were employed by a young adult program from the church for a couple of years and so like there there was not an avenue of our life that they were not, you know, in charge of or had say over. That's messed up. It, yeah. Codependent is uh, a good term. <laughs> so, you know, it, yeah. I guess, um, I don't know, like for me, I, I'm really into letting, trying to let go of the result. Like just being in the process of whatever it is. And I, and I believe that the religious, the religious uh, counterpart to that is let go and let God. Because if you trust the process, if you love the process, you're not worried about the result. And if you let go and let God, you are letting go of the result and letting God take care of it. I believe that there are so many things that are separated into this is religious theory and this is manifestation and this is personal growth and you know mental health whenever if you if you focus on the the fundamentals of any of them it they're they're really basically the same of do the work enjoy getting better at whatever it is and be happy with wherever you get right and that that's really been my it's been what i've been focusing on the last couple of years what i'm really focusing on with this podcast is trying to not look at the numbers so much, not be scared of competitors or people who are, you know, uh, Joe Rogan, who's a very popular podcaster, talks about it all the time. He's like, it is not a zero-sum game. It doesn't matter if somebody else is doing well. It doesn't mean that you can't do well also. It actually is better for you as everybody does well in this thing specifically it creates a better industry for podcasting. So I've started, you know, I'm really trying to lean into getting in the podcast community and get other people on my show, talk about their stuff. Everybody who's on my show, like I'm trying to like really lift them up because they've taken the time to be here and they really share a part of themselves with me and my audience. And I think it's so important to, to go for it and keep lifting them up and, you know, whether it's not like, it's just like the friendship thing I talked about. It's not like share for share. It's just like, Hey, what do you got going on? Let me share it for you. Let me, let me be a, a fan of yours because I am now. And that has made this process a little scary because at some point I do need to, I do need to be a breadwinner again, but right now it feels good to be in the process of something and to just trust working hard at something. Right. So, you know, that's that's my <laughs> my two cents for anybody who's struggling with with that phrasing of let go of my God or trust the process is 
work hard and the results will take care of themselves. Right. Well, I think the first part of that is like the key, you know, you have to do the work and that, you know, like any time, like we've expressed dissatisfaction about like relationship with my parents, Mm -hmm. like the response is like, well, you don't know how bad it was, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, like it's gotten so much better. Like, okay, I'm, I'm glad it's gotten better. Why is it not getting better anymore? Like, so we're just, you know, like, well, we, well, we got somewhat better. So, you know, like we made it, we made some improvement. So let's just, you know, yeah, like good enough. we're done. And I think that's, you know, like humanity in general, like should strive to always be better, to always grow, to like, I'm, I'm never, I'm never going to achieve being a good enough human, you know, like it, there's always more growth. There's always more depth. There's always more to learn. Um, and I, you know, I'm never, I'm never going to sit back and say like, Oh, I've, you know, I've done all there is for me to do, you know, like I, there's nothing more for me to learn or grow in. Like that's never going to happen. And, and I don't want it to like, I, I want to be the best human I can be. And I want my children to be the best humans they can be. And so I, I don't understand when that's not the goal because, you know, and I think you guys are similar, you know, like I don't, I don't want to raise crappy humans and say like, well, you know, God will do the rest. Like, sorry, I've just passed on all of my trauma and all of my, you know, bad parenting and all of my, you know, emotional dysfunction. And then I'm just going to say, you know, well, hopefully they make it, you know? Yeah. You just made me think of, uh, so I spoke with Regina joy and that episode released today. And so it was on my mind. She talked about her regret for spanking her kids and, you know, we had a a pretty in-depth conversation about that, but based off of what you were just talking about, when you do fall back into those patterns that you were raised with that you don't want for your family, how do you handle it? Like, do do you immediately go into like paralyzing depression mode? Like sometimes I, I, I've done that where it's like, I yelled at my kids and like, damn it. Like, that's not who I want to be. And instead of being proactive and apologizing to make things better, I just like clam up and don't do anything. But what's your response? Um, <clears throat> I think only because I've had a lot of practice disclaimer, like the amount of time this takes, you know, isn't always the same. Sometimes it's 10 minutes. Sometimes it's a couple hours. Sometimes it's the next day, but like, the one thing I will make sure I do is tell them I'm sorry and that I was wrong. I want them to know that I'm sorry and I was wrong and that I shouldn't have made the choice I made. I had to do it yesterday or the day before with um, one of my sons. We kind of got into it over something, got into an old pattern 
and I had to send him to his room to take some time to calm down. And I stepped away and then he came back upstairs and I hugged him and I said, I'm sorry, I lost my temper. And he said, well, it was my fault. And I said, well, I mean, you were not being respectful. No, but it's my responsibility that I lost my temper and I raised my voice to you. That is my fault. That's nobody else's fault that I raised my voice. And so I'm sorry, I lost my temper. I don't want to do that with you. And, um, and I said, you know, will you forgive me? And then I said, Hey, like, let's go make tea together. And then we'll sit down and try again. We were trying to do school and, you know, he just wasn't in the mood for it, you know, cause what nine year old is. And so, um, and he was like super excited to make tea together and to sit down. And like, I was doing something. He was like, aren't you going to come make tea with me? And I was like, Oh, like, this is like, I thought this was a, you know, very simple gesture. And you're like, this, no, this is a big deal. And so I was like, okay, like, you know, yes, I am coming to make tea with you. And so we made tea together and, you know, it, it was different, you know, like not, you know, he's dealing with his own stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's not smooth, but it was better. I think that that's something I often forget to, like, I apologize often, way more often than I'd like to admit it. Um, but that piece where you re-engage with them in a way that, you know, that really neutralized any of the tension, just like, let's go make tea. It's such a simple thing, but then all the tension was, it was gone. And I'm, I'm not very good at that. Like, I'm not very good at saying, like, I'm like, I'm really sorry about that. I messed up. Generally, my thing is like, I'm super patient with kids. I'm not super patient with my wife. And so we argue in front of the kids. And I hate that we do that. That's a pattern that I grew up with. And I absolutely hate it. And I'm embarrassed and disappointed, you know, every time we do it. And Penny takes it really hard because she's been, it's, she's grown up with it and it sucks. But I apologize to her. And there is still that tension remaining. And, you know, that's something I need to look into is how can I re-engage in a way that is, you know, it's not like, let's go get ice cream or, it's just something really simple that uh, that helps to connect because it is, it's really important to get that connection back on to then rebuild on top of. Right. So. Well, because, you know, we, we use the term, you know, deposit and withdrawal with our kids. That's funny. Um, my mom used that term, but she was really, she was just bankrupting me. <laughs> right. And that, you know, but that's, you know. It, you can make 10 deposits, you know, have your emotional balance at a hundred percent. You have one, you know, flare up, it goes down to zero. Like you're, you know, you're building back up. And so that's something we try to have, you know, I mean, not, not necessarily definitely back to zero, but you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so you know, you have to, you have to build right away. Um, something we've been doing with our kids as, you know, multiple of us have been going through therapy the past year is at the end of every night we were having, um, like 
talking stick time, if you're familiar with that. And initially it started with people having to share like, Hey, like you did this today and I didn't really like it. And you know, that bothered me. I wish you would have done this instead. Or, you know, Hey, when I asked you to stop, like you didn't listen. And that really bothered me. I felt disrespected. Like I'd really appreciate it if you would stop when I asked you stop. And then eventually it transitioned to just saying something positive about each other. And so, you know, and it's not forced, like none of it, nobody has to do anything. Nobody has to say anything to anyone, but if you want to, like this space is here. So you can say, Hey, like, I really appreciated when you played with me, when I asked you like, Hey, will you play with me? And you said yes right away. And it's just those little things that build up the relationship to, you know, I think, I think we feel like it has to be harder than it is. It's true. And, you know, we feel like, oh my gosh, like I screwed up. Like now I have to make a big gesture because I screwed up. You know, I have to plan and figure out how to make this better. Like, no, you just have to do lots of little things to make them, you know, to provide that regular reassurance that I'm, I'm doing my best and I'm trying to do different. Yeah, I think that a big part of that is the, you know, the generation before us depended so much on guilt and fear and shame to raise us that whenever we mess up, I I know I feel guilty and instead of feeling motivated to be a problem solver, I feel guilty and am not immediately thinking, what should I do to make the situation better? which is generally in most aspects of my life, the way that I am, I'm, I am a problem solver. But yeah. as soon as I feel guilty, that fear comes in and I'm just like, well, I don't know how to do, I don't know, I don't know how to live. I don't know how to do life anymore. Right. And so it's, it, I think it's really important that, you know, I'm aware of that part of my, of my being that, you know, that, that tendency to slide into that guilt and have it stop me from being able to move forward because then I can say, okay, you're feeling, you're feeling sorry about yourself. You're, you know, you feel like you're getting your nose shoved in it because you're, you've been a, a bad puppy and nobody's doing that. Especially not my kids. They're looking at me as their father and saying, well, what do I do? And if that's how I act, then they're going to say, okay, that's, that's how we act. Right. And it's important to just try and be better. Right. You, you do a good job of that. So your oldest, I'm, I'm sorry, I wasn't going to say the age, or just you have a child on the spectrum. Um, whenever it comes to issues like this, where we're talking about emotion, we're talking about reaction, he processes all those things differently. Right. So you've got, it's hard enough just being a parent you've got this additional layer added in where now you have to speak a different language, basically a different emotional language to your son. What is that like? Um, I mean, you know, now that he's older and we've had a lot more practice, it's easier, but there was a big learning curve. Um, and I think, the main thing I've learned with him is that, you know, for, for his particular 
way that he interacts with the world. Like he feels everything 200%, you know? So, uh, physical and emotional or just, yeah, just emotional. I mean, certain, certain physical things. So like he, the reason he has long hair is because he cannot physically handle the feeling of cut hair on his skin. Um, and so we, you know, we've tried lots of things and it was just easiest to like make haircuts as few and far between as we could. Like that was just the best way to handle it. So, um, you know, now that he's old enough to have preference, like he just likes his hair long, but it originally started because I didn't want to listen to him scream just for the sake of a haircut. Um, so, but it, even that, you know, starting school, like if he got frustrated, he would start to sweat and have to take all his clothes because the effort to learn the vowels was so much and so frustrating and so hard because he also has a reading disability. And so just the amount of effort it took for him was so physically bothersome that, I mean, he would literally be pouring in sweat, want to take his clothes off because he, you know, then couldn't handle the feeling of, you know, sweaty clothes on his skin. And so, and at this point we have no diagnosis. Like I, you know, like I suspect, you know, but I've never had confirmation. And so, and that, that was the point that I was like, this is not normal. Like this is not, you know, typical responses or, um, you know, like my child is having a hard time outside of, you know, learning the alphabet is hard. Like this is a different issue here. And so, um, you know, I, also had to do things like communicate really, really, really clearly because I couldn't just say, Hey, you know, we're going to dinner at such and such friend's house or your grandparents. Because then if I stopped and had to get gas or had to run into the grocery store to grab a salad to take, you know, then, you know, you said we were going here, but now we're at the gas station. You lied to me. Like, why didn't you tell me? You know, and it's like this, you know, whole huge meltdown over me not knowing like that I just had to communicate these extra steps that, you know, I'm like, well, the ultimate goal is we're going here. So, you know, for most people, like it doesn't matter if you have to stop for gas on the way, but for him, it did. Um, and even still like to this day, like he had a, argument with his brother yesterday and he, um, you know, doesn't understand why his brother doesn't want his help or is mad at him for trying to help. Um, because I feel like one of the differences is like his motivations are more pure. Mm -hmm. Like, like manipulation is really hard for him, you know? Yeah. And so 
he doesn't understand sometimes like, well, your brother didn't want help because he was upset. And sometimes when people are upset, they're not ready for help, you know, and then his heart is just very hurt because he was rejected. And, um, so a lot of times it's, you know, trying to calm him down and, and help him work down from his big feelings. And, and I love that he has big feelings because sometimes it's really beautiful. You know, he, like, he has this conscience, you know, like he's the Jiminy Cricket of the family. Like he, you know, like there's right and there's wrong and you don't, you know, you do what's right. And so anytime there's like a, well, like, you know, maybe we could do this. Like, he's like, no, no, this is what is right. You know, when we, when we had our foster kids and we were trying to decide whether or not our family was still the right fit for him, for the kids. And we were having a conversation with our children and just letting them know, like, Hey, like, we think maybe it's time for the foster children to move to a different family. Um, because, you know, I think we were a good family when they first came into the system because, you know, we had siblings and we had experienced parents, but I think now like they need to go to a place that can focus more on them and doesn't have four other kids already in the home. Um, and he had a really hard time with that because he said, that's like telling them we don't want them anymore. And I'm like, I hear you. Like it is, it is kind of like that. And that's why we have to make so sure that we communicate what it actually is. And I feel like that's one of the differences for him is like, he can, there's almost like a level of emotional intelligence that he clues into because of that altruism that, you know, like you can't taint. Yeah. And so, um, so in those moments, it's a really beautiful thing, the way that he, you know, or, or he has argued with, um, you know, how Ogini like hires people to go around and cut trees away from the lines. Mm -hmm. So he's like eight years old at the time. And it's happening at his school and he's on recess and he goes out there and starts arguing with these men cutting the trees and saying, what are you doing? That tree was here first. Like it's not the tree's fault that they put power lines there. Like you should not be cutting that tree. And they're just like, you know, like I have no idea what to do with this eight year old arguing with them about their job you know, and they're just like, Hey buddy, like we didn't make the decision. Like we just have to do what we're told to do. But he like could not let it go because, you know, he's like, but an injustice is happening and I have to correct it. Yeah. Like I cannot let this happen when I am here. So, you know, eventually his teacher has to go out and is like, Hey, like come back inside. Like, you know, we can't, we can't tell them to stop doing their job. You know, but then it's a whole, like, we still have to work through that. Like, he still remembers that years later. Or, like, we were driving down the street recently, 
And he's like, I feel sorry for all the pine trees. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, all of the pine trees that have to be power poles, like it's not fair to them. Mm. And I'm like, I like how many other people's hearts are like, you know, I mean, I know there are other people out there, yeah, but it's not common. You know, well, it, it kind of makes me wonder what if he's right? Like, you know, the like I know that, you know, your heart's like, yeah, he's right. But your mind is like, we can't do things that way. But what if in all senses of the word, he's right. And we're living this life all wrong. And we're doing things like getting in the trees way. I mean, our earth is telling us that we're doing things wrong, but it's, Whenever I think of it that way, it almost makes it hard to breathe. Like just oh, hearing yeah. that truth. No, just like, if you, <laughs> yeah, if you actually like go down that road of like it, you know, like it's, I mean, I do think he's right. Like 100% and I love it, but you know. Like, so then am I going to change my entire lifestyle? Well, not just you know? yours, everyone. Right. Like, I mean, unfortunately, we exist in a system where it's all so interconnected. And damn, it's just, it's kind of like thinking of the enormity of the of the universe and the universe is beyond it and the multiverse. You start to just, the weight of the, of the perplexity starts to just kind of crush you a little bit. It's like, oh, that's... That's a lot. So, and you're faced with that on a regular basis with him speaking truth into your, into your life and the things that are going on and having to manage somebody who sees things in absolutes and trying to talk him down into, unfortunately, this world is not absolute. That must be so hard. I mean, you said something about big feelings, and I want to I want to go back here because you're an Enneagram four. Um, I love fours, which I don't know why because you guys terrorize me. But because I want to I want to compliment you, say nice things. You're like, don't talk about me, don't say nice things. You know, we're kind of like synergistic nemesises. Like it's just like we we don't match up, but for some reason we do. Like I. That that's what I've gotten to, but you described the way that you feel emotions in a metaphor to me about it about an artist and a tree. Can you talk about that for me? Yeah. Um, so I I feel like in my marriage it has been helpful to describe it that way that um, that Enneagram fours experience emotions like an artist sees the world. You know, so people look at grass and see green. They look at a tree and see brown and green. They look at a road and see gray. Whereas an artist is going to look at that and see the different hues, the different tint, the different shade, the light, um, you know, the perspective, the, you know, make note of angles and lines. And, you know, it's a totally different way. They see, you know, 20 different colors in a single, you know, line of a bark in, in the tree. And, um, and I feel like that's the way it is for me emotionally, you know, cause somebody say like, well, are you angry? I mean, maybe, you know, maybe I, but I'm also, 
stressed and frustrated and upset and tired and exhausted and excited and nervous. And, you know, like it's not just one feeling ever, like there's always layers. There's always, you know, I'm never just one feeling. And, um, and I feel like it's helpful because sometimes I don't know how to say how I feel because there's too many layers. Mm -hmm. And so that's like another thing we have is like, I just say like, well, I'm feeling all of the feelings and like, that's a way that I can let him know, like, it's too much for me to try to communicate, like the amount of emotional effort it would take for me to try to explain all of the layers I'm feeling right now is not where like, I don't have that emotional effort right now. And so it's easier for me to just say like, I'm feeling all the layers or all the feelings. Um, because, you know, I feel like at least for, for me as an Enneagram four, because I feel like one of the other things is like, you know, there's a, there's a wide variety of the way people experience their Enneagram, you know, so it's not the same for everyone. And I feel like because of the nature of Enneagram fours, like there's a little bit more of that feeling. Like I could say, this is what it's like to be an Enneagram four and every other Enneagram four is going to be like, up in arms. I like, that is not like me at all. And I think that's because the nature of the Enneagram four is to want to be an individual. Mm -hmm. And so like no other individual can be like me because we're all individuals. Um, so they might relate to the feeling I'm saying, but you know, I don't know. Um, I, I definitely know that you know, Kate is an Enneagram four and the feeling all the emotions is absolutely the hallmark of, of all of our arguments. And it took both of us so long to realize that that was a problem that we were dealing with because she would just default with the strongest one and anger yeah. was it. So like she just defaults to anger most of the time because that's what she's conditioned herself to do. And I'm like, I need more than that. Please tell me what's going on. And she couldn't process. And she felt like she had to come up with an answer fast. Like I was like, I was waiting. Like I was a ticking hawk, like, let's go, which wasn't really the case, but it kind of was because I would start talking again while she's thinking because I'm ADHD and if, you know, there's right. this space, I'm going to start feeling it. And, um, it's taken us a while to learn that she can feel more than one feeling at once by us. I mean me, she can feel more than one feeling at once. That's perfectly okay. I don't like, I'm like, I mean, sure. I might have other feelings that are like way in the background, but there's always like a star. There's always, you know, and sometimes I don't even recognize that one star. It's like, eh, you know, I don't really feel anything about it. I'm much less like, or much more likely to feel nothing than all the emotions at the same time. And that might be the way I've conditioned myself. I don't think that's the Enneagram thing. I'm not sure. But it's, you know, it's so important to understand, especially in relationships, the way that your partner processes emotions. Because right. if you're asking a question, expecting yourself to answer it, right. you're going to be severely disappointed because she does not answer questions like I answer questions. I've had to learn to ask questions that speak to her language and listen for answers and interpret them to me. And, you know, it goes both ways, but 
we're still like over 15 years into our relationship we're still trying to you know speak a language that translates both ways right it is work it's a lot of work <laughs> you fours especially like you can't ever just be simple can it well i think it's that it's not about simple it's about depth like I mean, if, if it's deep, then it's not simple, right? Well, but it's not. Yeah, I mean, but it's it's not a matter of. I think that's you know, like that's the key. Is like I can't, I can't experience life one dimensionally. Like I experience it in all of the dimensions at the same time. Like I, you know, I'm experiencing right now and last week and worrying about next week, like all at the same time. I'm, you know, that, that really just, that peaked something in my experience in my own relationship, because I'm always thinking like, can't you ever just be in the moment? No, (laughs) like for, for you guys, that's not really how it works. And that is, I think such an important, important insight because that is, it's such a thing, like just be in the moment. Well, you can be in this moment, but you also need to be in this other important moment and this moment that's coming up in order to feel what I feel whenever I'm here in this moment, or else you're ignoring a large part of yourself by trying to be in this one moment. Right. Because the Enneagram fours are dreamers. Yeah. And so. Oof. Part of part of part of experiencing this moment is like dreaming about what this moment can create mm. or the feeling it's fostering inside of me, what it's inspiring inside of me. Like I am experiencing this moment, but I'm experiencing what this moment is causing for me. Like, and so again, it's not just a one-dimensional thing. Like I'm I like I am enjoying this moment. Like I am I am present in my way. But I'm also very in tune with, you know, what it's causing in me and where it's taking me and, you know, where it's leading me. And so it's, you know, it is, I don't know, it's a very uh, complex thing. And it, you know, and it is equally as frustrating for us at times, I will say, because it's, you know, I, um, I feel like another example could be, have you seen the newer Supermans with, I don't remember his name. Uh, Oh my God. I know his name for sure, but I just, yeah, I have. So the scene where in the first one he's at school and he's hearing all the voices and he goes, you know, he goes and hides in a closet because he's hearing all of the voices at the same time. Like I feel that way sometimes, but it's with like my feelings. And so like, sometimes it's overwhelming for me too. And I don't like it either. And so sometimes it is really helpful to have that other voice that can say, you know, Hey, just focus on me right now. Like, let's just deal with one thing, you know, without adding to like being frustrated at me for hearing all of the voices at the same time. Like, because Um, because it's frustrating for me too. And so I think that's like, that's another helpful 
angle to consider it from is like, like sometimes I need help, like focusing on a single thing. Um, like, you know, not in like a, like, Hey, you know, like, you know, focus here. Like I can see that you're off somewhere else, you know, not in a like, eyes on me. <laughs> right. But, but in a, you know, I see that you're overwhelmed. I see that you're experiencing all of the things right now, feeling all of the things right now. Like, I'm just going to be present with you and be something else that you can focus on or something that you can ground yourself with so that you can pull yourself down from that. I'm, I'm not going to say that doing an Enneagram test is essential to relationships or doing, doing any categorizing of yourself is essential, but man, it helps it so helps. much. It helps. It yeah. helps to be able to look at it because I, there are things about being a, a seven that I did not realize about myself until Courtney pointed them out to me and said, Hey, we have this in common. You haven't noticed that. And I'm like, well, damn, well, yeah, we sure do. And you know, as I looked at the list, I was like, these things are all true about me. And now that I can see them all on the list, and see how I react in these situations. I compare them to my wife's list, and I'm like, this is why we keep butting heads in this situation or in this situation or why we can't get past this hurdle because we're both approaching it from our different, you know, our different Enneagrams or our different, you know, introvert versus extrovert or whatever. There's so many different right. ways that you can typify yourself. But being aware of that, also love languages, super right. important. If you can be aware of those, not even to the, you know, you're, you're pretty deep into the Enneagram stuff. If you can just like do like the quick quiz and just like read some of the basics of what it means for you and your spouse or also your kids, also another good, good way to put, do it and figure out each other's temperament. You can stop seeing people as your enemy a lot of the time and right. start seeing how they're just processing differently. Right. Because man, so many times Kate has just needed to process, and I and I needed to push, and it's like not because I didn't care about her, but it was because I had this need to move on. Like I need to, I, I need to solve the thing. That's what my enneagram does. Like we need to get through the thing. Like we can't just let the thing sit. So she needs to sit with the thing. I'm like, okay. I don't feel all the emotions at the same time. So the one I'm feeling right now is a little impatient. Can I stand a little impatience while she goes through 50,000 different emotions? I feel like it's fair for me to do that, for me to let her process and come back to it whenever she's more ready to talk about it. Right. And learning that lesson, still learning that lesson, trying to put that into practice has made me be a better spouse. And I, I advise anybody who aims to be a better spouse, and if you are a spouse, you should. Um, I encourage you to do that and figure out how to listen in a way that is actually helpful. One of my favorite podcasters and um, YouTubers, Chris Doe, in the future, talked about how he is a you know he's a problem solver. So when his wife would tell him something, he would try to solve the problem, and it would irritate her. And this has happened with me before, also. But what she finally told him was like, I know you're trying to be helpful, but what you're doing is not helpful to me. Right. And he was like, oh, I thought I was being helpful. She's like, if it were you, you would have helped you, but that's not what I need. Right. 
So I've tried to start doing like he did and started acting. Is this helpful to you? Is this is this thing I'm doing actually going to serve the purpose that I, I'm intending it to? Or would you rather me do this? Or do I just need to listen? Or because the what I would want in that situation is not the same. And it's an active process of learning and practicing because it is a skill. Absolutely. Yeah. I right, do your radio voice real quick. Hi, welcome to Authenticity on Air with Bruce Alexander. You're hired. Um, <laughs> I think that was a, a good tangent that we just went off on. But I'm going to get back to my questions here. So you left. How old were you when you became a mother, when you married John, and when you became... I'm sorry, when you left your father's church. I was 23 when we got married, 24 when our first child was born. And um, 26 when we started putting one foot out the door. Mm. Probably more like 30 28 to 30 when it was like, no, we're, we're done. Maybe closer to 30. So, but at, at 28 or so, three years after you had a child, you're starting to learn how to take control of your own life. Not necessarily, but we have people around us asking questions, mm. which is prompting questions in us. Okay. That's a lot of <clears throat> change coming swiftly. Like I said, like we you know, both agreed being a parent is a large task yeah. on its own. Didn't learn this till much later on. And when I started taking marriage seriously, being a spouse is a task all on its own. You're learning all this stuff inside a church where you're not very comfortable moving out of a church where how how did this affect your sense of self did you did you feel like you had you had your own identity as you're moving through all these different new processes and new um new challenges for your identity well i mean at that point my identity was wife and mother you know and um you know, just very, very heavily leaning into that. And, um, and still for a while, like really leaning into that, even once we started questioning other things, um, because it, we kind of went like in this like big circle of like, we went deeper into some things, but it was still like a delineation from, you know, the majority of people around us. But then we ultimately ended up curving away from that too. So, um, you know, <clears throat> part of that was like, well, you, you know, you just, have as many kids as you have. And, you know, that's that, like you just case hurrah, hurrah with your family planning. 
And then a few kids into that, we were like, maybe, maybe there should be a little more intentionality here because this affects a lot of other things. Um, and so, you know, going from that, like, you know, the only reason I'm on this earth is to be a wife and a mother to like, like in many ways, I feel like this is tricky because in many ways, like I do still believe that like raising my children is the most important thing I can do. Like nothing will ever be more important than raising my children. However, I, I no longer subscribe to the, um, inclination that we shouldn't take any responsibility there and make good choices for ourselves. If I'm, if I'm hearing this right, initially wife and mother wasn't an internalized label and now it's more of a purpose. Is that, is that correct? Um, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, like you, you didn't have a choice. Like that's just what, you know, women were created to be wives and have children. Like that's just, you know, why women exist. And, um, and like, obviously that's still part of who I am. Like being a mother is never not going to be a part of who I am, but, but it's not all women are, Yeah. you know, they're a lot more than just, the people who make babies. I, I tend to agree. Yeah. So in that you, you separated. Okay. So starting out, you did feel like that was your, that was what you were. That's all you were. Is, well, I was even corrected for having ideas outside of that at one point as a young adult. And so, so you were corrected, but did you actually, take on those those ideals and actually mentally like um mentally digest them and make them oh, your yeah. own thoughts so that yeah. you were you were fully indoctrinated oh, yeah. into that thought yeah that that this is all i'm here for yeah um looking back now how do you feel like you were able to mentally break away from that kind of thought Um, I mean, I think, I think partly, um, the challenge of it, you know, like I, I, wanted to believe about myself that I could have as many children as I would have. And I would still be a patient, wonderful mother, you know, mm -hmm. but when there's actually humans there 
who are testing that theory, you learn things about yourself. And something I learned about myself is that a limitation was a good choice. And so, um, I feel like that, like watching my own mental health struggle in hindsight of having four children in five years was, you know, like for the sake of these people that are already living, like I need to make a good mental health choice to choose to limit myself any further with this because I need to be the best I can be. And I'm already struggling to do that for these people already here. And so it was more of a necessity than, you know, I think like something that I really like sought out. Do you think some of the stuff we talked about earlier, um, such as you not sharing your pain, um, like not not speaking your needs out is remnants of that that indoctrination i mean i think i think it more has to do with my family culture than but weren't they kind of one and the same i mean yes but i you know I grew up hearing things, um, you know, like feelings were a bad thing, like emotions were a bad thing because they affected you, you know, like, especially in a decision or which is true, but sometimes is appropriate and necessary. Like if I'm having negative feelings about a decision, that's not a decision I should make, you know? Um, but it was more so, you know, like if you got emotional about something, like then you couldn't think clearly, like I can be, I can feel something and still think clearly. And some of that is a negative association towards women because they're more emotional and, you know, women cloud judgment because of their emotions. Um, which is a very inaccurate and, um, narrow thing, but, um, it, you know, you have to, you have to be willing to examine those things and, you know, It's just, I, I don't want to represent those things. I want to, you know, sorry, I had my kids texting me earlier. I'm going to put this down here now because it's just my front door notification. Okay. Um, I heard something the other day that I thought was really interesting. Men, some like a lot of men talk about women being emotional, and the reason why there's a separation because you know long ago we 
our job was to keep the family alive and to provide for the family. That that was like what was ingrained in us, protector, provider. And there was no emotion about that. It was all based on where is the food, where is the danger? Where is the food, where is the danger? There's no emotion. And if you, if fear was part of that, like not, not planning, but like fear, like what if I'm afraid there's not going to be food in this area, you might, you might starve because the, the logic was telling you this is where the food was. While the, the woman was raising the child, emotion was important. Nurturing, like loving somebody and making sure they, their needs were taken care of was the highest priority. As this moved into like modern culture, we hung on to these, you know, these separate roles, but we as men internalized them into how people view us as protectors and providers. Like that became our emotion, basically. Is if somebody looked at me and said I wasn't providing for my family, then I'm going to react to that more than somebody saying, you know, it looks like you don't love your kids enough. That that wasn't the thing that's going to hurt me. Right. And I thought that was really interesting because. I do make most of my decisions off of logic based off of where's the food, where's the, where's the danger, you know, what's going to, what's going to give our family the best chance of success. And this is why women are better than men is that that doesn't always matter. There is so much more nuance than where's the food, where's the danger, especially when you're raising a family. There are, for us, there are four little people in there who say, where's dad in this right you know where's our loving father figure where's our where's the joy in our house those things are also very important so like i am not at this pusher of traditional family culture where you have to have a mom you have to have a dad but i think it's very important to have two parents right whom play both sides Somebody who looks at where's the food, where's the danger, and somebody who looks at where's the joy, where's the love. And my wife does that for me. She says, hey, you need to check in. Like, I know you're working hard. I know you're trying to figure things out. I know you're trying to build a future, but these kids need you now. That's that's hard. Being being a modern man is hard to get, get, get yanked out of that work, work, worry mode into now you need to love these people right you need to actively put your heart out it for these people to see it is it's a tough thing yeah well america's built for enneagram three <laughs> they want you to work yeah you know absolutely um because that's how you prove your worth is how hard you work and what you accomplished and so that's you know being married to an enneagram eight a conversation we had this past Sunday because Sunday is like our family time day. And so he was struggling with the feeling in himself because he's an eight that we would be disappointed because he wasn't out accomplishing something. Mm. He wasn't doing something for the house or for the family or working on something in the house. And, you know, so I had to say to him, I would be disappointed if you were not present right now, you know, 
Um, because what I need and what your children need for our family time is for you to be present because it's not family time if you're not present. And so, but, you know, I think that's another, you know, just emphasizing your point of like learning about ourselves, understanding ourselves, and then being able to communicate that with our partner who also knows and understands us to say, Hey, like, I, I know that this is your tendency, that this is the inner voice in you that says you are not doing enough, but you need to tell that voice it's enough to be with my kids. It's enough to play a game with my kids and show them that I love them, that I'm here, that I'm available, that I'm present, that I care, you know, because when they grow up, they're not going to remember, you know, my children are not going to remember that their dad helped build the Dell city library or, um, the Villa Teresa condos. Like they're not going to know that they're going to remember that on a Sunday afternoon, he played basketball with them or, you know, played Minecraft with them or, you know, whatever it is that they want to do like that. Those are the things they're going to remember and care about and are going to matter to them. And like to your point, it's also wild how quickly you can feel the difference when you check in. Like, I've always been good with my oldest two. Like, not okay, not always, but since they've been my oldest two, we've been good because we can talk about things that I like that are kind of childish and that they like that are kind of, you know, grown up. You know, we watch anime together. We play video games. That stuff is easy. The younger two, it was a challenge because it's like they're not really, I mean, my middle one's getting there, but my youngest isn't there. And so instead of proactively finding other ways to connect with them, I was just kind of frozen and waiting, waiting for they got to that spot where like, this is where I'm good. Like, I'm good. As soon as you get here, you'll see I'm a great dad. And uh, Kate pointed out to me, like, what are you waiting for? Like, not in so many words, but she was like, hey, you are not connecting with, our, with the younger two. You are just spending all your time on the older two. And you're really great with them. And, you're, you know, I appreciate that. But we have four kids. And what recently happened was Kate was waking up with our youngest in her ear immediately. And it was driving her crazy because... In her ear immediately and then all day. Yeah. And what I've started to do is take the first part of my day and spend it with her reading books and hanging out. And it's not hard. It's so simple. It's like, hey, grab a book, sit here with me and read with me for a while, and then we'll read one together. And then we just hang out and we cuddle. And I, I feel like a different person, both for like my soul and for showing up for my daughter, like it feels so good to know that it wasn't too late. She doesn't hate me. Like it's okay. There's, you know, they're so forgiving when you try, Yeah. but you do have to try. Yeah. And sometimes it takes your partner to, to remind you. Try. Right. <laughs> right. But even that, like you have the opportunity because of your schedule right now, you know, like there, it would be that much harder if you were still gone all day. Mm -hmm. You know, most parents who work outside of the home spend more time at work than they do with their children at home in the evening, you know, even including weekends, like a lot of times those hours 
are, you know, not the same. And especially if you add in any evening activities or, you know, any extracurriculars, anything else like that even further reduces your availability. And so the intentionality that has to be there is incredible because it's so easy to say, I'm tired. I, you know, I've worked hard. I'm, you know, I don't have the energy, whatever. And, um, you know, to just put it on the back burner of like, well, you know, like there's not an immediate crisis, like nothing's happening. They're okay. So, you know, I don't have to put forth that intentionality right now. Like I can wait until it's, you know, really necessary or there's something I have to deal with. That was, that was absolutely my attitude. But like looking back on it, they're okay. You can say if they're okay, or you can say they're okay. And, and that's how I look at it now is like, they were okay. They could be great. Their lives could be happier. And I am very much in control of that. And I wasn't taking the opportunity. And that's, that's, you know, it's hard to look at whenever you look at how many wasted days there are, but it also is once again, it's never too late. Right. But I guess the other point I was trying to make is like a moment of honesty to my authentic audience. At the time of this recording, I was still learning audio, and I let the track get corrupted on my main audio source. Unfortunately, the rest of this recording is not the best. I encourage you to continue to listen to it because it was a really great conversation, but I also appreciate you having listened so far. I just want to let you know that this is not the kind of content I will be putting out as we move forward, as I have learned how to solve such issues and won't let it happen again. But for this one, I appreciate you bearing with me through a little bit of a technical difficulty. Thanks. You were tired though, you know, mm-hmm. like because you know, oh, yeah, the, it, the schedule wrecked me, absolutely. Right. And that, so for a lot of parents who work outside of the home, mm-hmm. like it's even that much harder to be intentional because they are tired, like they've been, you know, emotionally depleted from their day, especially if they have an emotionally taxing job. You know, if you're a teacher and you've been around kids all day, I'm sure sometimes it's hard to come home and have the energy to want to spend time with your own children or um you know just other you know i know that at times your job could be very emotionally taxing very emotionally demanding depending on what you were dealing with um and so you know like that's a tricky balance of like how do i have room for myself and give space for myself to you know decompress from my day but also be present and available to my children you know even that much harder to single parents you know my sister-in-law is a single mom and they're you know like it would be really great if she had a partner to say like hey you're tired like let me tap in but she doesn't you know it's all on her and so you know how how do we as a community you know, step in and help make space for those people who, you know, need, need that time to decompress and, you know, but again, also approach them with understanding, you know, instead of criticism of, you know, hey, like your kid just needs you. Like, well, yeah, your kid needs you, but like, I mean, also, <laughs> My Life first suggestion, 
is if you can possibly at all um, make cuts and get out of the uh, nine to five work situation, if there's any way you can do it, because like, honestly, like I am, I, of course I am financially terrified of what my future looks like. I don't care though. Like what, what I'm doing right now, being here with my family is so much more important. It's easy to say that from this side. And it also, it was also easy to do it because I was in a situation where I was forced to make a choice. I don't think I could have made that sitting at home listening to this right now and saying, you know what, I'm going to choose my family and leave my job that pays me $100,000 a year. No, I couldn't have done that. The, the security was too good. The, the consistency, the, like having all those things, it was so good. But I was emotionally just wrecked. I hadn't, like, I didn't like it there. They didn't like me there. That's one part of it. Then being away from my family from six in the morning till sometimes seven o'clock at night, that is a long time and it's unnatural. Right. And I mean, at this point, like I'm home, I work from home. I don't leave very often. I leave to go do things I want or like networking stuff. And whenever I have more clients, it'll still be from home most of the time. And I still don't feel like I see my kids enough. Like, so it's, it's so hard to, you know, to put myself back in that place and think that I could do that again. I really don't think I could, but it's because I've seen over here. And I don't think I could really translate that to somebody who hasn't been on this side as to how, like, how much different it looks. Like having the weight of the nine to five off your shoulders, being, being instructed on what to do all, like all of your work day, your time not belonging to you, like all of those things are just emotionally draining and then trying to come home and be a parent. It's, it's a lot. Right. I mean, there are ways to cope with it. Absolutely. But I would encourage you, if you have a skill or a passion or something that you've been thinking about striking out to do that lets you control your own time and be home more, I would, I would really encourage you to do it. Just because even if it doesn't work out, there's always, there's always a job. Like it may not be the job that you love. It may not. Be, you can always go back to making some money and making ends meet. But these kids are only kids for a while. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I feel pompous saying it because it's like, you know, you're yeah, you're doing it. Or you, you know, I was. We were prepared. I'm not going to say I was lucky, because Kate was. Kate is a. She's a financially minded person, budgeted well, we had money saved, and I was in a situation to be able to sustain this transition. Not forever, but for long enough to make something happen or to be able to at least start something different. Right. Like, you know, if I have to go back to some sort of working with somebody else, I know that I can make a decision to do something very different, do some sort of hybrid work, something. To where I'm home more because it, it has totally changed my view of what is important as well. Yeah. Which I love for you that, you know, 
that your hand was forced in a decision that ultimately you feel like has been better for you. Mm, absolutely. But I feel like that's that's what's so hard is like I think a lot of people would love to live that way, but America is not built that way. Mm, I mean, yeah. So I mean it I feel like it's transitioning that way. You know, like yes. like you can like being a YouTuber is a realistic job now, mm-hmm. you know, which is wild. And, and I think that's because there are more people coming up and saying, like, I'm not satisfied with this working a nine to five for somebody else my entire life to retire and die, you know. Yeah. But at the same time, like, that is still the structure. Like, there, you know, there is still, like, 99% of people cannot just, you know be removed from a paying position and figure out a way to be okay. I will say 99% of people will not. Now, I would say probably 50% of those people cannot because they they couldn't pay next week's bills. Right. But there are people who could who are the situ- the the way our society is set up is to make you terrified to be out there on your own. I mean, it is it is very scary not knowing your financial future in America. Because we have put such a high priority on material being like material things, owning a home, you know, um, like having two cars, all these different things that cost a lot of money. But if if you were to look at it realistically, I've got a friend who uh, they sold their house, moved into it, like bought a truck, bought a fifth wheel, moved into that, and they they she works from there. She's going to be like I'm interviewing her next week. Like she works on the move. Like they set up in Florida sometimes and stay there for a while. And she makes more money than I do by a lot. So, but she had to commit to a different kind of lifestyle. And she had something she was passionate about. I'm not saying just go out there and just quit to do nothing. But if you, if there's something like a passion that you've been putting off, I'm encouraging you to, do that now because there's still lots of opportunity. At one point, it's going to be, it's not going to be a creator economy anymore. There's not, there's going to be 10 billion podcasts. There's going to be 200 million YouTube channels. There's going to be so many Instagram, you know, there's at some point there's, there's only so much space to fill, but right now there's still a lot of space. So if that's what you want to do, I encourage you to do it. Yeah. And I agree with you. And I hope, I hope that that does become, you know, that the, that the independent economy grows. Mm -hmm. However, I guess I just want to make sure that it is recognized that there is a large swath of people who will not have that opportunity and who will fight and struggle every day of their lives to, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe not even make anything, you know. Because, because America is not built for them. And so, like, I, yeah, I'd love to see it change. And I, and I think there are avenues that are changing, but there also are, you know, like that avenue is going to change for some people. But I think there will always be some people that it's not going to change for. To speak directly to who, who are you talking about? Who are these people? I want to know, like, let's not, speak in what sort of syllogisms like just lay it out for me spell it out who are you talking about 
Um, well, I think I, I don't feel like you can like say it's going to be a certain demographic because there's always going to be people inside of demographics who are going to break out of that, you know? Um, but you know, certainly people in poverty areas, um, struggling economies, um, you know, growing up with certain mindsets, you know, or expectations or even cultures, like it's just, it's going to be harder to, you know, because you know, like I'm talking about my own experience of being raised and with certain expectations put on me, but, you know, there's, there's other cultures that have a greater level of that, of where like you, like, like I said, I felt like I don't have a choice, you know, didn't have a choice, but there are some that actually don't have a choice uh, or, or at least, you know, there's more risk for them. Yeah, there's, there's always a choice. Now, it may not be a good one, but there's always a choice. Sometimes the choice is between being stoned or being, you know, domineered by uh, a patriarchal society. Like, that's that's a choice. I don't, I wouldn't want to have to make that choice, but there's, there's always a choice. I, whenever you say that there are people who won't have the opportunity, it's hard for me to to accept that because I wasn't in a situation where this was great always, but I, I took steps to make my life better. Like I became a firefighter, which before that we were living paycheck to paycheck. And the, the job, the career did great things for both my mental state and our financial state to where I could start doing things to make me a better person like, you know, educating myself, mental health and wellness, having insurance, taking care of my body, like lots of different things. But I, I had to go out and earn that job. Like nobody gave that to me. And then once I got the job, I then had to go through six months of very intensive uh, training and, you know, a recruit academy, EMT, lots of different certifications that some people quit. So is the, is the road for everybody to get there the same absolutely not equity is their inequity is a real thing in this country and some people start out way lower than i even did and is it fair no is it impossible to escape no you have to once again i think it's about self-awareness being aware of the limitations that are set in front of you and being willing to not be a victim to them and do whatever you have to do to overcome them does that mean for some people working a full-time job and going to school at night? Does it mean uh, working part-time and starting your the thing that you're actually passionate about as a side hustle? You know, it looks different for everybody, but there is a way that you can you can live passionately. I I, I don't want to say that there are people who can't. I think there are people who won't because, like I said, it's very scary, and it is not all roses and like candy over here there's there's some real things that you have to face but whenever you're doing something that you love all of that is okay versus there was actually a lot of fear 
and going to work in the morning every day for me, like who is going to make me feel small today? That was a that was a terrible feeling. I hated going into work. So is there differences? Yes, but there's there's always fear, there's always sacrifice, there's always a way to make the situation better. It's just are you willing to do what it takes to to accomplish that? And it's okay if you're not, but just don't say that, that it doesn't exist. I don't know, that's that's my feeling. <laughs> You too can be a podcaster. You absolutely could because your voice is amazing. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. What do you think? What do I think? Yeah, what are you thinking right now? I probably processing that's probably I'm right. processing and I'm deciding whether or not to say I disagree. <laughs> you're you're more than welcome to disagree. Like. No, I know, but I'm actually deciding oh, because okay. on, I mean, on the one hand, I absolutely agree with you. On the other hand, you know, okay, you know, what about our differently able community? What about our person's experience in homelessness? What about um, you know, our illegal immigrants? What about even legal immigrants? You know, what about, um, you know, again, like, like I, I know that there's exceptions in those demographics, but I also know, you know, that the mountain is that much taller for them, I guess. What I will say is there is no ice at YouTube. Nobody's coming to check uh, your papers if you're trying to be a creator. So it's actually probably a safer, a safer route as opposed to trying to get a job where somebody can come arrest you and deport you as a illegal immigrant. Um, the, like one of my creator friends, uh, is like, uh, he goes by the handle inside. He's autistic. He's openly autistic. And he's got a like 2 million TikTok following like and is very successful. So it's not going to be that way for everybody, no. And, you know, I did preface by saying that I, I even gave 50% of people who are who can't do it because of, like, the ability to make the paycheck. But it's really hard for me to accept that there isn't some way that you can make it happen if that's what you want to do. Like, I don't think that if you are, if your situation is so... Um, entrenched in your disability that you can't do it it's probably not something that you were trying or thinking about doing anyway you were probably thinking about the pain that you were dealing with today or the you know the diff like dealing with uh the different bureaucracies you have to deal with on a daily basis just to get the things that you need like it's probably not on your mind you probably don't have the mental space but if it's something that you want to do if there's a passion that you're to think, well, like, I don't, I don't think I can, I disagree. So it's not everybody. It's people who are saying, I don't think I can go after my, my, my dream because of this. I hear you. So it's definitely qualifying. It's not everybody in the entire world can go do their the thing. Right. But it's the people who are dreaming and making an excuse. Right. 
Right. And you, you are on the side of wanting to inspire those people. Absolutely. And, and tell I, them that they can do that. You absolutely can do yeah. it. And also, I once again freely admit that I was forced to make the decision to leave my job. Yeah. Like, I did not make the decision easily. And I'm not saying it would be easy for anybody to make that decision. Yeah. It is not. I had been thinking about doing my own thing for, well, since I got on the fire department, not necessarily, but doing something else, but my own thing for the last couple of years before I left. And, but being on the other side, I definitely want to let people know that there is a way if you're willing to work hard. And that is not pull yourself up by your bootstraps, because I know people, there are people who don't have bootstraps, but there are avenues to, to find or make bootstraps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just knowing your situation and then knowing the mountain you have to overcome and saying, I want, I want it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So my answer is, I don't agree with you. Okay. But I just... I had to do some backpedaling there. So. Well, no, no, no. No, I think it's that you're coming, you know, you're coming from your perspective who you are mm -hmm. and wanting to say, hey, like, you can do this. Like, I, you know, I did this and I didn't even have the choice. And I think that's important. Yeah. I think that's important for people to hear. I think those inspirations are important. And I think I'm coming from the side of like, you know, like, yeah, you want to speak to this community and say, you can do it. Like, have faith in yourself. Believe in yourself. You can try. You can figure it out. You know, like, you, you can't. You can't. And, and people need to hear you can. Yeah. And I just wanted to speak to those people who genuinely can't, either by life circumstance or by mental illness or by, you know, whatever, and say, you know, I see you. There's, you know, I see that that, that mountain doesn't end for you. And I, I just want to say both to those. Are important. I want to say to those, that second group of people that you can't get, like maybe you could like keep working on the thing that is stopping you from, you know, if it is mental health, keep working on your mental health, try to build a foundation to where you can be healthy, like mentally healthier, and you can start looking at the future. And I like financially, once again, the fire department allowed me to be able to see time different. Before that, it was literally, what are we going to eat next week? And it is that, like, that's why it's hard for me to just say to the people who can mentally handle it, you can't. It's to the people who were like me who could not mentally see what a future looked like where I actually enjoyed my life. I want to speak to those people as well and say, you can. It's not easy. There, like, there are sacrifices that have to be made. Sometimes you have to give up everything that you ever knew. And go sacrifice yourself to a a career for almost ten years. That's what I did. And I would I would I want to say I don't want to suggest that path. But honestly, for some people, if your life situation is as bad as ours was, and you have kids who depend on you, yeah, I would say do it. You know, I would say join the military. Do like there are avenues that will take anybody who is fit enough are willing to work hard enough and will give you a way to be able to get out of that situation. So then that is just a stepping stone where then you can see above all the, the crippling <laughs> pressures that are currently on you 
And once you can get a peek at what that future looks like, it becomes so much easier to start working towards it. Because otherwise you're just like tunneling in the dark and you don't know which way is up. Yeah, but there are people who are tunneling in the dark and don't know which way are up. Hey, there is up, it, it exists. <laughs> And I and I, I love you people and I am one of you from way back and I, I hope that you're able to find up. I'm hope I hope that you're able to see the light at the end of the tunnel at some point because honestly it is such a deep and dark place. I never want to be back in. And that's that's the other scary part about going out on your own is that there's nothing to protect me from ending back in that, you know, deep dark tunnel. I have got, you know, I don't have insurance for that don't have like you know i do have retirement stuff there but that's the windfall for if this goes south that's that's scary that's no longer for if you know for whenever i get to be 60 years old and i'm ready to you know take a cruise to barbados that's that's for if i don't become profitable in six months that's scary I don't think about that though. My wife is the one who has the finances, so she gets stressed about that. I just, I get to go out and be the best me I can be. Yeah. All right, we're gonna we're gonna start wrapping this up because I feel like I could talk to you all day, and there are other people. Once again, those kids I was talking about like to see my face occasionally. Um. Ghost has uh, decided he wants to re-enter the chat. Just leave it cracked, so if he decides to leave again. Thank you. Anyways. We got... I love, like, I write all these questions. Like, I usually write about 20 questions for a guest, and I usually ask maybe six of them. Yeah. Like, I, like, I want to be prepared. I, I want to have a place to go in case the conversation doesn't actually just happen. But most of the time, it just does. And I, and I love that about this, this format. Um, what does the next few days, months, years look like for Larissa? Um... <laughs> Well, you know, we just started our journey with competitive gymnastics, and that's a big commitment that, you know, you don't know where it's ending. <laughs> you know, they may do it for a year and be like, man, I want to do recreational again. Like, that was too much work. Um, or they may be like, I really like this. Like, I, you know, want to grow and I want to go to an even you know, more advanced competitive gym. And, you know, so there's there's that, like, um, factor looming in the background of, like, you know, that, that dictates a certain portion of our lives because we want to make that happen for them. Um, and um, then, you know, we're, we're looking to move hopefully within the next year we'd like to downsize because um the country's been fun but it's a lot of work it's a lot of upkeep you know certain times of the year like it doesn't really feel like there's room for anything else because there's so much 
upkeep that has to be done, um, which, you know, is great and we've enjoyed it, but we'd like to make room for different adventures because the thing we would like to do is make more room for traveling. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm not sure where we're going to end up or how that's going to go, but that's, that's kind of the goal. Um, so, yeah. I, I asked that because we were talking about the dream, you know, chasing your thing. You've got a lot of talent besides being the person who knows something about randomly everything. You are also an artist. And like I said, you could do so many different things with your voice. You could do, you know, voice audiobooks or whatever. Is there anything that you dream for you? Uh. I mean, yes, but um, it changes every day. So <laughs> uh, trying to commit, you know, I one thing, one day it's you know one thing, and the next day it's another thing, and I I've never been able to pick one thing that's like, yes, that's the thing that I want to run into for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Because I, you know, also have ADHD, and so I will hyper focus on something for a couple of weeks, and it'll be great. And I think, like, man, I could do this forever. And then in two months, I'm like, I don't know who bought all these plants in the house. Like, you know, <laughs> I don't know why there's 80 plants in my living room. Like, that was a different person who was here, and she does not live here anymore. So, you know. I was literally looking at my pile of stuff this morning. Like I've got like a big art bag from all of my art stuff in college and my photography stuff. And these are all things I still like to do. Like luckily with the podcasting, like doing my, you know, my podcast cover artwork and uh, social media stuff, it gives me an opportunity to like live that creative outlet to a degree, but I don't, draw anymore and it makes me like it was super depressed this morning i was just looking at my drawing stuff and i was like when are you going to do that again i'm really sad like, yeah but i also had to give myself grace because i'm i'm actually i'm working towards building something here for the first time ever in my life like i'm doing the thing like i've put it out for accountability like it's you know it's out on all platforms every week i'm supposed to show up and i enjoy doing it but there's no wiggle room in that. There's no, if I, if I want to actually do this, I can't say, well, I'm just going to take this week. Right. I can't just not record episodes anymore. Like then, then you don't have a podcast. Like if you stop making episodes, you're not a podcast. Yeah. So in this one, I'm like, okay, you're doing something. You've chosen a thing and you're doing it. And that feels good. Looking at the other stuff I'm not doing, feels bad yeah but then i remember you're doing something you're really doing it whenever i was drawing i was drawing some take a picture some i was you know doing graphic design some like i was doing all these different things i'm really doing this and i will be coaching but there's like i feel like it's very similar the conversations that we have on the show and the conversations we will have in coaching sessions will be very similar because it's so much just about getting to know yourself and your story and that's what we do on the show. Yeah. And 
Um, I, I have a couple more questions that I was going to wrap it up, but I don't want <laughs> There's, um, what is it about animals that cripples your no? Listen, I have a bearded dragon right now that we found last week in the road. I have three porch cats. Um, and there's at least two other ones that I've been trying to feed for like a year. Oh my gosh. Um, it, you know, I, um, there's this something in me that I, I can't, I can't look at suffering and look away no matter who it is. So, um, I, you know, I stopped for turtles to move them out of the road and I, um, during spring even went through a phase where I had to stop if I saw a dead possum and check its couch or baby because I couldn't handle the thought because we had that happen in our backyard. And I never even thought of that. So we took, I don't know if it's a litter, but we took, you know, a handful of possum babies to uh, wild care in south of Norman. I don't know if it's actually in Norman or just south of Norman. I think it's not. But anyway, it, you know, and so then I was like, oh my God, like what if, what if all of these other dead mother possums also have babies in their houses that are now just going to starve and die? And then, you know, I have to take a step back and say, you know, like, I can't, I can't, I can't serve every need. Um, but, but there is still a push in me that wants to. And it's those feelings in 4D. Yeah. That's, I'm, I'm going to make you a shirt because <laughs> it works on so many levels because you're a four, but it also yeah. is four dimensions of feeling. But, you know, one of the kittens on our porch, I'm pretty sure I've never seen it until like 10 days ago. And um, it's very friendly. So I don't think it ended up out there by accident. Mm -hmm. um, but it, you know, it's so skinny. You can see its hip bones like pointy, oh, you know, gosh. sticking out from it. And, and yet it, you know, and it, like, it's not that cat's fault that you know it got tossed in the woods so like i mean i could just ignore the starving cat or i can put some extra food out for it you know just like it's not that hard to yeah. put food on the porch for this cat and i've contacted some rescues to see if we can get it adopted because it's very sweet um and it's a young female so unless it's spayed and it's just going to perpetuate the cycle mm -hmm. i'm there's a kitten that hangs around it that i'm not sure if it's it's kitten or not or if they just are you know abandoned buddies how hard is it to let go whenever you love every animal as much as you do um not always that hard um, you know, I have my favorites, like when we had our litter of foster puppies, like 
there was only one that was hard to let go of. The other ones, I was like, you know, you can leave. Like, you chewed a hole in my wall. It's okay if you get adopted. Um, you know, or, you know, different people were attached to different ones. Um, there was a a little, like, chihuahua mix that we fostered who was incredibly sweet. Um, she was so sweet. And, but I could not go to the bathroom without her scratching on the door. And I was like, I've already made it through the stage of like children, you know, not being able to go to the bathroom right. without somebody knocking on the door. And like, I cannot live with a dog that's going to do that to me. So like as sweet as she was, and like my kids cried when she got adopted, but like I just couldn't live with that. Um, and I think it's like, I've always had that background, like telling myself, like, I know that as soon as I keep one, I feel like I'll stop bringing them in or, you know, fostering, which like we're taking a break right now just because of, you know, some other things going on in life. But, um, you know, there's one that I regret letting get adopted. I'm like still to this day, like we talk about our griffle. And how um, we should have kept them. Like, who's the one we should have kept? But. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You have a special heart. Okay. On that special heart, this is a tough one. So, you were subpoenaed to testify against your own brother on a matter that was not up for discussion specifically. But can you tell me what it was like to be headed against your the person that you? spent most of your young life with um yeah so i think the hardest part is that i'm not sure if he understands that when i was subpoenaed it means i didn't have a choice because like i would have rather not you know um But, you know, I was subpoenaed, so like, I, you know, I can either face the consequences of ignoring that, or I can do what I'm supposed to do, while at the same time, um, wanting what was right to be done. And, and I feel like the trickiest part of that is because I have so many levels of feelings about that. You know, there's part of me that is happy about the way it happened, and there's part of me that will always hate the way it happened and regret it. Um, and, and also, you know, the way that, you know, the questions I got asked, you know, only allowed for certain answers. Um, and so, in some ways, it felt hard to be completely, or at least give a full picture sometimes, because, you know, you're answering the question and not, you know, um, and, and the especially tricky part was that he wanted to act as his own lawyer. So, when he so when I got cross-examined, it was by him. 
Mm-hmm. And so like having to, you know, answer to him, you know, about questions that like, I mean, for one, like I don't want to talk about in front of a room full of people. Um, was very uncomfortable. And again, like it's not um you know two things can ruin a relationship like having to testify against someone in court. So um you know, like recognizing like there's no coming back from this, you know. Um like this is is a, a nail I'm hammering in that won't come back out. Yeah. And and having, you know, part of me wants to be there because because there are certain things that I believe are right about it. But also, you know, it's just a limited system. And so, so experiencing it that way, it just felt very tangible how limiting that system is. What was the emotion like on the, like during the cross examination? Like, was he hateful to you? Were you able to keep your composure? Like, no, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I cried a few times. Um, I really, I mean, the amount of anxiety I had leading up to it was the hardest part, which that's another thing I get to deal with is um, from those accumulated years of stress, I now have dysautonomia, which means like, my body was in such a high level of stress for so long that it can no longer like recognize reasonable stress and just perceive everything as stress. Mm. So I wake up and my heart rate is over a hundred, like just from waking up um, because I lived in such a high stress state for so long. Um, And so that's been a whole, you know, fun experience to like, like I can feel it happening sometimes and feel myself getting in that mode and I have to like, okay, like I don't have to run around like a crazy person, you know. Does it feel like a panic attack? I mean, it, it can. I mean, that's been another, you know, also byproduct of. Because I'm pretty sure you've had both. So. Yeah. I've not, never heard of dysomnia before, so I'm, I'm, for one, you know, brand new information, another thing that you suffer from in silence, um, but I'm, I'm trying to understand what that experience is like. Um, I mean, yeah, so it, I think once I knew what it was, it was a lot easier when I didn't know, like, the anxiety was way worse, for sure, because I, I didn't know why I was getting light, why I was getting lightheaded, why I was, you know, feeling like my heart was racing because it was, you know, and, and, um, and the first medical person I tried to seek just told me I was high strung. So, you know, which anyone who knows me knows, you know, that's not usually a word that 
you would use anonymously with me. So yeah. um, it was really hard to find somebody else to want to understand that with me. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm very, very grateful that I did. You know, and I've found several other things that have contributed, you know, like the MTHFR and, you know, other things. But Moving away from the, the trial for a minute, just talking about what you just said, finding a doctor that respects your word and does the research, what did that do for your peace of mind? Um, I mean, even, even just my very first appointment, you know, I bring, you know, like a stack of papers. And she's like looking through and she's like, oh, you have this atomic. I'm like, <laughs> what's that? You know, and to where, you know, I've been seeking this answer for so long already. And and being told I'm high strung, it's in your head, it's just your anxiety, you know. More gaslight. Yeah. Um, which only increased, you know, my symptoms. And so having somebody finally validate, you know, and say, like, this is this is out of your control, you know, and it's because of the level of stress you've been in was, you know, very relieving, very validating. Um, and, you know, just felt really good to be taken seriously. And, you know, somebody care even, you know, instead of just like, how quickly can I move, move you through, you know, answer your question and then move you through. Being a black man, in American society is not fun, always. I mean, it can be fun, sure. But whenever it comes to medicine, it is a big factor in how I've been treated in the past. There is, you know, lots of studies saying that many doctors work on the assumption that Blacks can handle more pain, um, that I should be bitter than I am because of my natural um, genetic type. There are lots of different things. So whenever it came to prescribing for pain, I've always, I've had you know, the knee issues, back issues, all that stuff. I've always had to struggle with so many doctors. Recently, very recently, um, I had to go see a, go to a referral for my new doctor about getting my Adderall. I've been uh, diagnosed ADHD for 15 years. He questioned how I did in school. Like I did great in school. What does that have to do with anything? Well, if you didn't struggle in school, like, you know, maybe he started to question if I was ADHD. And I was like, well, I did great in high school because it was easy because I'm smart. Have you ever taken an IQ test? No, I haven't taken an IQ test, but I'm smart because I didn't study and I made straight A's. Read some of my class. Oh, I struggled in college whenever I actually needed to learn how to study. Okay. Well, have you taken this whatever test that's called for air traffic controllers that's used to, you know, diagnose your ability to pay attention? Like, no, what is that? Like, I was diagnosed 15 years ago. They gave me a test, and, like, I told them about my loss of time, time blindness, you know, my inability to organize anything, my chronological, like, all this stuff. And he's just like, well, you know, I think that we, should, we might need to, write, you know, re-diagnose. So this is another case in which I left the doctor feeling like, first I was crazy, 
stressed to know if like, am I going to be able to get my medication, which keeps me sane because being disorganized is literally insanity for me. Um, and then later on being irritated and realizing that I just experienced another one of those situations that you, you never, you know, I, me, I never make that assumption in the moment. Like I was irritated with this guy. I was like, this guy's, he's a tool. I don't like him very much, but I acquitted myself as I always do. I answered all the questions. I questioned him. I was like, isn't your overall purpose patient? Well, you know, patient wellness. And he's like, well, you know, this, we've got this guideline book here. And my, my job is to follow these guidelines. And that pissed me off really bad. Yeah, but general practitioners can't diagnose ADHD. Well, he, it was like, this was a specialist for my general practitioner who was not an ADHD specialist. Like my last, two out of my last three uh, uh, psychiatrists or therapists, whichever one writes medication, two of them were ADHD specialists. And they had no problem with my diagnosis. But this guy decides that we probably need to, you know, do some, do some re-diagnosing. Or I need to see the record from your, you know, your past. Do you, do you have the record from whenever you were first diagnosed? 15 years ago? No. I was 20-something years old, and I barely got to a doctor to get diagnosed because I was a mess. Unsurprisingly, I didn't hang on to that paperwork. That was a bad experience. So hearing you talk about this person who not only listened to you, was able to give you a diagnosis and peace quickly and cared to do so. Like the power of people in medical positions caring right. is so, sometimes I really feel like they have no idea how much power they hold. Would you, would you agree with that based on your previous experience before this? Yeah, I mean, you know, I feel like like I've experienced both sides a lot of times, you know, and so it's, but it is really hard because you never know until you're there which experience you're getting, you know, like the, the orthopedic surgeon I saw with my knees, like was really, really, really great, really liked him, uh, you know, then his PA, not so much, and, you know, so it's, you know. I, I, I hate that there are so many people involved and in, not, not that I hate that they're involved. I hate that there's so many people who can control how your situation goes whenever you interact with the doctor. Like if you have a great experience with the doctor, the PA can be absolutely terrible and not call on your medication when they're supposed to. And then there's like no recourse. I, my last doctor, I left because I wrote an email and asked, hey, I haven't been getting my prescriptions for like weeks at a time whenever I've called them in. Is it because I changed, like I'm on Sooner Care now? Is like, Do you guys have a problem covering me? They dropped because I questioned their, like I will not be accused of uh, ignoring a Sooner Care patient. The PA dropped. That is to me is the opposite of how you should handle that situation. But that's the reality of life. And once again, some like a person who has power over my sanity right. decided I was not important enough to get my medication on time. And then B to keep seeing as a patient because I got angry one time whenever I had been unmedicated for 
you know, almost two months. And, you know, me, one of my ADHD's strongest symptoms is dysregulation of emotion. So, yeah, I was super pissed. <laughs> yeah. So that's tough. I, I feel like I'm being a little whiny now. Well, I, you know, I think it's just that a lot of people are selfish and it just depends on what job those selfish people have and, you know, how it affects people around them. Not that one. Get a different job. Like, I think if you work in the medical field, you should, like, have to care about you, right? I mean, you know, aptitude tests might be a... Should be emotional aptitude, yeah. That's, that's, I'm, I'm putting that forward. That's what we're going to do now. Um, all right, now I'm actually going to tie it up. Is there anything else that I didn't ask you about that you want to talk about or share? Um, I'll let you think on it for a moment. I mean, I think, you know, if I was going to be asked, like, what would I want to say? I think it's just, you know, basically what I already said when I said to you, you know, like, I, I want, I want humans to know that there's space for them, that they're seen, that they're heard, that, you know, I feel like that's why it's so important to emphasize to me the struggle of those people who have a higher amount of time earlier because and and I think that's from being a silent sufferer is like I I know what that feels like to silently suffer and so I more than anyone else I want those people to know I see you I see your silent suffering I see that there is no light at the end of the tunnel for you I see that know you're questioning you know maybe some big questions even you know i want i want those people to not feel alone i want people to know that they're okay to be here you know that there's room for them that you know what whatever you're dealing with whatever you're struggling with there's room for you and there is someone who cares even if it's really hard to find um you know that that people have intrinsic value just because they're human you know that it's not it's not their skill it's not what they can do it's not what they look like it's not you know how they talk how they act like it you know you have value because you exist and and i want you know that's the way i'm trying to raise my children they know if i ask them how do we teach people to be kind they will answer by being kind and that like that is what i want I want my children to to bring kindness, you know, because we talk about, you know, like there's enough hurt and suffering and crap and stuff and, you know, misery. And the best thing we can do is to be kind when, you know, maybe nobody else is going to be kind or, you know, it may, it may be the only nice thing they experience in that day, in that week, in that year, you know, is maybe that we didn't get mad at them or something, or that we didn't respond in a, you know, upset manner or, you know, smiled at them or whatever. <clears throat> you never know how your interaction is going to affect someone, you know, either way. And so, I 
I wish that it was more present in our minds, like myself included. You know, I get distracted and busy in my own, you know, stuff I have to do, my own stress, but it, you know, there's, I just want people to know they're seen, you know, wherever they're at, they're seen. I think you and I need to have a conversation about producing a podcast. Because this shouldn't be the only place you're saying that. Like, yes, you're doing great with your kids and you're doing that, but you have something to share with the world. And I, I think you, yeah, it's completely serious. Think about it. <laughs> if people want to find more Larissa, where can they find you? And also, do you want them to find you? Um, I have a couple of books and <laughs> it's hard to find um, I, I'm not super present on social media. I used to be more, but it's just something I've kind of taken a step back on to be more present in, um, the humans around me. So, um, I am on social media, but not a lot. Do you want to share your tag? Um, I'll have to. I'll pour it on Instagram. I just have to remember. Okay. Um, Look for her under my umbrella at Authentic One Air for a possible podcast. You might be able to see her there. Um, lastly, if you enjoyed today's episode, give it a follow and a like and share it with someone you think might enjoy too. Always check out earlier episodes to support the future creation of great content. Don't forget to like us on at Authentic Identity Management on Instagram, Facebook, Threads, and LinkedIn. You can also head over to the Authentic Bruce YouTube channel for podcast video, bonus content, and impactful clips from my conversations with these great guests. Larissa, thank you for being yourself and sharing so much of you with the Authentic on Air audience. I also enjoyed getting to know you on a deeper level. I am truly honored to have had this conversation with you. I am absolutely, totally confident that there will be value put out in this world whenever this episode comes out. And it's going, it's going to help someone. Even if it's just one person, I know that somebody will hear your words and feel lifted up. So thank you for sharing that with me. <sighs> Wrapping up, if you are struggling to show up as yourself in your content, your work, your family, or your life, I would love to help you. Authentic Identity Management does identity coaching to help you align yourself with the identity you share with the world. It's exhausting to live someone else's life. Live authentically and access the potential that belongs only to you. You can contact me on social or email bruce at authenticidentitymanagement.com for a free 30-minute consultation. Thank you again to Larissa for being here. That is it for today's episode. And until next time, be yourself and love yourself. Bye, everybody.